The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Dom here with the young boy Josh Smith on today's show. We'll review nights 7 through 10 of G1 Climax 33 and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get the podcast over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping a Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, we are once again wrestling trivia champions of the world. Oh, yeah. We, uh, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's that's correct. In fact, there has never been any wrestling trivia contest that I've entered that I've ever lost. <laughs> that's true. In, not just including bar trivia, but also including the the lofty and lauded uh, Ricky and Clive Quiz Time Invitational Championship Showdown, which I was the winner of and sole champion. Yeah. Still reigning to this day. <laughs> But yeah, we uh, went down to uh, Escape Brewing last Thursday. Me, you, and some other members of the Largo Loop, and man, we, we mopped the floor with thirteen other teams. Yeah, too easy. And um, we we destroyed everybody there. It was not really fair at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to have a bunch of wrestling buffs just show up to these these people's uh, trivia night, but we 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 caught wind that there was a. Uh, a wrestling themed trivia night we showed up and um yeah i mean it was it was embarrassingly bad like i think the next two closest teams were probably like 10 to 15 points behind us when it was all said and done <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it was all wwe trivia specifically yeah slash wwf yeah slash nwa slash wcw because 
the guy running the quiz didn't know the difference between the two. Well, and he well made it, Vince owns it all. It's it's all. It's he, all. Made, <laughs> he made it clear at the beginning. He was like, this will be WWF and WWE only. But then he started throwing in stuff about the Four Horsemen and the, the Rock and Roll Express. And I'm like, that's, that's not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they had a little run in 98, 93. But I don't know. I, I don't know if when I think of classic WWF trivia, I think of the rock and roll express <laughs> and I definitely don't think of the four horse. <laughs> hey, and actually there was, there was one, uh, one question where they, they asked who had the most eliminations in Royal rumble history, which the correct answer is actually Braun Strowman slash Brock Lesnar. Cause they both are tied at 13, but I don't think bronze counts because it's part of the greatest right, Royal that's Rumble. The Saudi, that's yeah, that's that's different. It's not the same thing. <laughs> but um, the the quiz master had Roman Reigns as the correct answer, and so I had to go up to him and well, actually, him <laughs> not appreciate it or like it. But we got our point, so. Yeah, because pretty much everyone at the table was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Brock," and I, you, you were kind of like, "Yeah, it might be Roman," but like, no, it was that that Rumble with Brock where he was dancing. To MVP's music, and he was just tossing folks. So I was like, it has to be Brock. Yeah. So. Yeah. Actually, that's the only question we got wrong the entire evening was they asked us what current day main roster talent has the theme song that was originally the Chicago, um, what was the name? Uh, Enforcers XFL team theme song. I was like, what the hell? None of us had. We had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, nobody. But apparently it's Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's theme song was first used in the the XFL as the Enforcer's theme song for Chicago. I think I have that right. But yeah, it's pretty. uh, That's a fun little factoid for those of you listening. And if you didn't, if you weren't aware, just to tie it in, Brock Lesnar, former IWGP. No, not world. IWGP heavyweight champion. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> version three. three yeah yeah one of the worst champions in the history <laughs> have you seen any brock lesnar in, in new japan i think i've only seen the the angle match which was that was technically not new japan right that was in that's uh, not new japan Inoki, that's, uh, Gino. IGF. yeah you've never seen any of his matches huh actually i might have seen the nakamura match i i enjoyed the nakamura match for what it is but it's not great <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think actually his best match is probably with Nagata, but all that stuff's kind of it's out there. You can find it, but it's not like the most accessible, and it's none of it's on New Japan World. Yeah, it's all it's all hidden hidden stuff right now. <laughs> but yeah, but um, anyways, here we are, and uh, smack dab in the middle of the G one. And if, if you thought last week's, <laughs> you know. G1 fatigue was was something I'm feeling it this week, which it's weird because I feel like we've had more strenuous G1 schedules in the past. I don't know if it's age catching up to us or what What do you think it is? Because they've been pretty good. Uh, I think it's the, the eight match show. That so, is what it, so, that is what it is. So even though, you know, in, in, back in the day, the two blocks, you know, the tour might have been a little bit longer. You, you had shows that were just four matches. So if you're behind, you skip the undercard, the multi-man tags, you jump right to the action. Bro, we're watching two nights worth of matches. Is one, one night. night, yeah. So when we do four shows, we're doing like eight shows. According to the original traditional schedule, 
because that's how many matches we would have traditionally reviewed. Holy crap. I didn't put this together. I'm like, why do I, why am I feeling so bogged down? It's only four <laughs> nights. Like it's not that big. It's eight nights. That's why. Yeah. Cause yeah, traditionally yeah, you'd have your, your four, five tournament matches and yeah, just get the undercards and it would be gravy. But yeah, now we're having to watch the whole show from beginning to end. Yeah. If we were only reviewing four nights before that would have been like 16 matches, but now it's 32 matches. <laughs> <laughs> It's adding up, yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. Well, uh, bef- before we jump into that, we had a question here from Reddit user uh, Adam Sensei eighty two. Says my question is, if reading my name out on the podcast would help me win a bet with my wife, would you do it? Love Adam XOXO. Well, I guess I just did it. What, so what are the stakes? <laughs> and how are we gonna get any skin in that game? Like, what what are we getting out of this transaction? Is what I'd like to know. You know, he's going to be able to tell his wife, hey, I, my name was read out on, on the world famous Keeping It Strong Style podcast. I, I'd be willing to read your name out for sure. At the same time, Red Circle slash, what is it? <laughs> SocialSweetBlex.com slash donate. Slash donate. Keeping It Strong Style tab. You know, hit your boys up. Drop us some love. <laughs> this is essentially, right now, this is a cameo. Okay, this is that's what this is. <laughs> yeah, if you want the full, if you want your full government name read out, you you gotta drop some dollars. I'm also worried we're doxing you. Like, how is that not doxing somebody? I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck's it? What the fuck is a dox anyway? Then <laughs> uh, we move on. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's jump into this uh, G1 coverage. Like I said, we're covering uh, nights 7, 8, 9, and 10. So we'll do the same format as we did last week. We'll go through each block, start from the top, and work our way down to uh, who's ever in last place. So we'll start in the A block with the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Sonata, leader of just five guys, has five points. Or five wins with 10 points. On night seven, he defeated Kaito Kiyomiya 19 minutes and 58 seconds. And then on night nine, the champ defeated Son of Strong Style Ren Narita 16 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, so uh, Sonata sitting at 10 points. And with with him um, defeating uh, Ren Rita on night nine, he has officially punched his ticket into the semifinals. Now, whether that's going in as, you know, 1A or 2A still remains to be seen, I think, based on what, I'm, what I've seen. But he's, he's done it. Like, he's, all, he's the first person in the entire tournament to, like, establish himself going into the finals. So I, I think he's pretty much has it locked up. No, he does, but I don't know if he's going to go in as 1A or 2A. I think he has 1A locked up. Does he? Because he's at 10 right now. He only has two matches left. So regardless, he's, he's going to end at 10. I don't think anybody else can get to 10 unless they, let's see. Because how many more nights are there? There's two more, right? Yeah. That's not true. If he Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if he lost his next two, and somebody got to 10 and tied him, they could actually go to 1A. Mm. 
Although I haven't done, like I was saying earlier, I haven't done the perfect math. So you, uh, you might be correct, but I think hypothetically speaking in a broad sense, I think there's still a slight chance he could be two a when it's all said and done. Yeah. Until, uh, and then like, you know, who knows the math is going to math, but <laughs> that's one of the things when, when you and I and Chris all came together and did the previews and we were talking about, you know, generally speaking, when you're looking at the schedule and you look at the last few nights for each block, you're, you're always thinking of scenarios of like, Oh, this might be the qualifier. This might be something that determines who goes through. This might be, you know, a spoiler situation. I don't think any of us were really thinking in the terms of like, because there's two slots, maybe only one person is on the chopping block on the final night, as far as like who can go through Mm -hmm. and the other slot. I mean, dude, we're only five nights in for this block and it's already solidified. And I don't think we've even thought of that uh, scenario being a possibility, but now that I'm seeing it, I'm like, duh, of course that's a possibility. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. He's not, he's the world champion. He's in here for a bunch of younger guys. Um, you know, he's the, the most experienced guy in the block. He's a champion. It makes a ton of sense to give him that kind of hot streak, especially when they're still trying to establish him as a top guy, as this main inventor. So you give him this hot streak, have him go undefeated in the block. And then that makes somebody beating him in the quarterfinals or semifinals even bigger of a deal. Yeah. And it's, it's also something too where, when we were kind of looking at the final night scenarios, like I mentioned, we were like, man, some of these nights don't look like they have very uh, big matches, you know, the, the, the determinant type of matches. I wonder what that's about. This is what it's about. Sometimes some of these guys are going to uh, like already be qualified on night five or night six or night, you know, before they, because it's going to be seven nights, right. For each block. Yeah. So sometimes it's going to already be locked up before night seven for some of the guys. And for some blocks that are more parity based, it's probably not going to be the case. But like you mentioned, Jeremy Sonata being champion, being the first one to lock it up, going undefeated up to this point in the tournament. Now, um, if anybody else were to beat him in the block, it's just going to be basically for bragging rights or maybe a, a title challenge opportunity down the road. But ultimately, I mean, it's not going to, you know, push him out of a a berth into the the rest of the G1. He's already done it. Yeah, and that leads to a question from uh, Dom Homie One on One. He says, "Well, I was wrong about Renderita being Sonata. So will Sonata finish his block undefeated, or will he take a L? And what's the possibility that Sonata wins the whole tournament?" So I know he's got Chase Owens left, and then who else does he have after that? I I, I haven't um totally looked at everything so on night 11 he has gabe kid and then on night 13 which will be the final a block night he has chase owens well you know they're making a big deal about chase owens trying to defeat him to because you know chase isn't playing to 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 win an opportunity to get through the block anyways he's just trying to defeat him to get a title challenge um, I, I would find that pretty underwhelming if that ended up being the, you know, the next title challenger in the interim be- between now and, uh, you know, like for the October slot or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, uh, given the fact that it's Gabe kid and chase Owens, 
the possibility that he goes undefeated for the rest of the block is pretty high. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I don't really see it necessary for Gabe Kidd or Chase to beat them. Neither of those guys are, are big draws that you can do for that big um, destruction uh, main event. So I, I wouldn't have him lose at this point. I would just have him go undefeated. He, like, like I said, he's pretty much has the 1A locked up because he's beating Umino. He's beating Kiyomiya. Both those You're guys right. are at 6. Uh, if they win their next two, they can get to 10. But uh, Sonata will have a tiebreaker over them. Gabe Kidd, he's at 5. The best he can get to would be 9. So pretty much there's nobody that can surpass him as the 1A. So at this point, why, You're even, right. beat, yeah. why even beat him? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, and uh, getting into the matches themselves, I mean, the, the Kiyomiya match has to be it, probably the standout match for Sonata the entire tournament. But, um, you know, that that match kind of fits the, the saying, the motto that we've coined for Sonata over all these years, that he's not a guy that necessarily elevates those who are beneath him but he can rise to the level of a guy that's higher than him and in a certain sense and i'm basically just basing this off of body of work kiyomiya is a much more acclaimed wrestler even in his shorter career like he has a lot more great matches so the idea that they had this really high-end match, and this is the only person in the block that he had a match of this caliber with. Isn't that surprising to me? I don't think it's necessarily, um, you know, and I'm trying to sound diplomatic here because I, I got some <laughs> feedback last week where people said I was going, bro, I don't know. I felt like I was pretty honest and, and on the nose when it came to Sonata. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were saying I was slandering him and going hard. I feel like we've uh, held off on the slander until the appropriate time, but... Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like people were, were shooting Sonata down from day one of the push. And, you know, we, we pulled the, uh, you know, the defense squad line, let it play out. We wanted to see, all right, how Sonata going to do? Is he going to draw? Is he going to have great matches? And there has been some great matches. Um, he has drawn a little bit, but uh, we're yep. starting to see him kind of fall back into his old ways where, like you said, are saying He's not going to elevate people. He's going to wrestle to the level of the people he's in there with. And there with Kiyomiya, you know, another Muto disciple. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything was set up right for him. Uh, Cork and Hall, both these guys, you know, uh, throwing Shining Wizard, super intense action here. And right down to literally only two seconds left, Sonata was able to hit the Shining Wizard and beat Kiyomiya right before the time limit expired. Yeah, the, the match was fantastic. And, you know, uh, going back to the point I was making, I think it's more a case of Sonata rising to the level of Kiyomiya's level as opposed to the opposite way. You know, uh, him elevating Kiyomiya, in, you know, I don't think that that was what it was. Right, and but, it, uh, the Red Narita match, um, it, it, was, it was a good match. It was but, good. But Sonata did not help elevate Narita at all in that match. Sonata hasn't had any bad matches in the tournament. The only one that you could really point to and criticize from a work perspective is maybe night one against uh, Hikaleo, but that's probably the only one that you could really have any true criticism about. His work's been fantastic, and I mean, um, so much so that like he's a wrestler of the month candidate. Uh, we're going to hold off to next <laughs> week to kind of 
because bro, there's been so many great performances from so many great wrestlers this month that we're like, damn, we need like another week to kind of <laughs> assess, yeah, <laughs> yeah, assess this. But um, the the match was great. One thing I did notice is he hit him with the shining wizard. I think there was a a slight mistiming because the way he he scooped him up for the pin, I think he was trying to get him up for the deadfall. Dead yeah. And they realized there wasn't enough time because they started counting. He's like, damn it, one, two, three. And there's only two seconds left. But I think that he was meant to hit him with the Shining Wizard and then bring him up for the deadfall and then get the one, two, three. So I think they they got that timing a little off, but most people probably wouldn't notice it, honestly. Yeah, well, Uncle Dave was saying that apparently they went a little bit over uh, the time. that It was like 20 minutes and like three seconds or five, six, something like that. And actually that they kind of goofed on the time and it went, it went longer. Um, but well, you know, that's not true because I heard them calling. <laughs> uh, but either way, yeah, it definitely seemed like he was going to go for deadfall, but I mean, I think it works out fine. Shining wizard. That's uh, one of Kia Mia's big moves. And you know, both of them are Muto uh, trainees. And so I think it's kind of, it worked out for the story well, that match. I, well, I don't think Kia Mia is a, a Muto trainee. I think the deal is Kia Mia you know, was in that feud with Muto and right. had to basically steal his whole shtick to basically get put over by him because he lost to him three times first. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying, though. Yeah, so overall, yeah, it's not a uh, good performances here. Has it locked up? I, back to Dom Homie's question, I don't think he should win the whole tournament. Uh, no. Uh, they should definitely... Somebody needs to win and set up a challenge for him. I mean, there's definitely going to be a year. Well, maybe not definitely, but I would love to see a year where someone was champion and they won the tournament because it's happened a few times in the past, but it hasn't happened since uh, Kensuke Sasaki in 2000. So it's been a very long time. And I would just love for them to kind of buck all the trends and do that one time because then that, that opens up a whole treasure trove of uh different booking possibilities afterwards in the fallout of that yeah and you could really like the g1's always been important and don't get me wrong i don't want to like you know knock if if anybody's listening you know me i'm an old school new japan fan like i'm not gonna sit here and say like it's not you know that i don't i'm not gonna shit on 90s and early 2000s new japan but the worldwide like you know effect of new japan has spread it's it's a much more international company and worldwide company than it was in those days and with you know every iteration of the g1 the the, the entire aura and importance of the of the tournament has only grown over the years and so at this point in time if someone were to do that I feel like they would get more out of it than say Muto in 95, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like if the, if you're the world champion and you win the G1 climax, it's like, holy fuck. Like, I feel like only Okada could probably do, <laughs> do that at this point. But, um, yeah, and w- that's basically the point I'm getting to. I don't think Sonata could be the guy that they decide to be like, you know what? Not only are you champion going into G1, you're gonna win the fucker too. Yeah, you're literally gonna go undefeated through the whole thing. You're gonna, you're gonna win your <laughs> no block, way. go seven and zero, oh, and then you're gonna, you're gonna clean house in, in the quarters, <laughs> semifinals, and the finals. The only way that sounds, the only way you could fix that 
Chase beats him, and then he wins the entire G1, and then he has to face Chase <laughs> in October. <laughs> also, I want to just point out, I kept calling the October event King of Pro Wrestling, and I was uh, corrected on the show a few weeks ago by you guys. You guys said it's, what, Destruction, right? Yeah. Well, Kevin Kelly was calling it King of Pro Wrestling as well, and he got corrected live on the air by Chris Charlton. So I'm not the only one. I mean, all habits die hard. We're, we're used to that October calendar day being King of Pro Wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Loved the Kiyomiya match. I, I was a little, you know, I was kind of expecting Renneri to beat Sonata just because I was like, you know, up the, uh, you know, up the intrigue the drama keep things yeah. the drama keep it going you know they haven't given a lot to narita he's only got two points this might be the the, the big feather in his cap nah <laughs> <laughs> but the match is really good um sonata's had a great tournament yeah he, he he's been good it's been he's been fun to watch most nights and yeah he, he's 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 getting his try a little bit yeah i feel like that kiyomiya win did a lot for him in Corkin, but there's no denying that the crowd wanted to see Kiyomiya beat him. <laughs> yeah, and and I know that I know people were kind of harping on us about the crowd reaction thing, and I know that Corkin can be more smarky, and they love the underdogs, but it's still kind of uh, you know, it's Noah Trash in in Shinihan. Yeah, it, it's a, a pro wrestling Noah guy. In the Mecca. He's getting more. He's he's getting more cheers than the world champion. Like not even dueling chance. Like if if it was Kiyomi and Okada, like they'd probably want the underdog win, but Okada would still be getting like his sh- fair share of chance. I don't feel like Sonata got a ton of chance in that match. One thing I loved about, and we'll move on, but I loved how commentary was talking about how Kiyomiya is this guy that you know um, has basically been like an ace. For Noah and won the N1 and everything like that. But now he's ventured off to kind of test himself in these waters against the world champion. That whole story is very compelling. Like I'm kind of, I'm still pulling for Kiyomiya to be the guy that comes out of this block as 2A basically. Yeah. I mean, he has to, I have a hard time seeing them uh, not doing the Okada match, but we'll talk about Kiyomiya in a second. First, we need to talk about, the Roughneck Shota Umino, who has two wins, one loss, two draws. So he's at six points. Night seven, Shota defeated Gabe Kidd, 13 minutes and three seconds. And then on night nine, he defeated the crown jewel Chase Owens, nine minutes and 35 seconds. Yeah, night seven, he came out and, uh, you know, everyone was kind of wondering where in the arena he would actually enter from in Corkin. And then Gabe Kidd shot out that corridor uh, hall doorway that you, you weren't really sure because everyone's been wondering, like Gabe Kidd's been attacking everybody before every match. How was he going to get to show to Umino up in the crowd? He, well, he found a way. <laughs> Got him on site. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It was like SmackDown in 2016. I'm going to keep making that joke. I love 2016 <laughs> SmackDown. Everyone getting jumped backstage all the time. Yeah, the jump zone's alive and well when Gabe Kidd's out there. <laughs> Listen, there's not much WWE you could convince me to go back and like rewatch, but 2016 SmackDown, I love 2016 <laughs> SmackDowns. 2016 was but a good year. It was a good year. But um, yeah, Umino um, defeated Gabe Kidd. They brawled all over the outside as a lot of the, the Gabe Kidd. Let me ask you, there's there's a, is there hate out there for the Gabe Kidd 
stuff that's going on because I'm feeling like there is, but I don't get it. Like I love this shit. Yeah, I here's here's what I'll say. I think overall in the tournament, I think there's too much fighting on the outside. And I think it's diminishing what Gabe Kid is doing. Uh, mm. There's a lot of people who are brawling, having these kind of plunder stuff, Kenta, all stuff on the outside. I think there's there's a lot happening on the outside. There should be more happening in the ring. But for Gabe Kid's character and his role, I like what he's doing. I think it fits his push, what they're doing with the War Dogs, kind of these mercenaries that just want to take people out. Not really necessarily mm. caring about winning the tournament. They just want to bring bodies to David Finley. And so I think for him it works. And I've been enjoying pretty much all his stuff and jumping from the get-go. I love the mix-up of the Narita match last week when Narita kind of caught him at the ramp. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm digging stuff with Gabe Kidd. But overall, I can get people's complaint if they think there's too much happening out the ring. And I know we're going to talk more about Gabe Kidd, but I just want to jump on that for a, a brief moment. One thing that I like about what they're doing with him is like, it's not like evil, right? With evil, he used to be this bruiser, this like never style fighter. And then he went into the shenanigans and he never really went back. I mean, you might see a slight glimpse of what he used to be. And it's only like in the most desperate of situations, does he start to even go into the base of what made him great prior to the, the bullet club turn with house of torture I don't feel like that's the same thing with Gabe Kidd. I know some people are disappointed that he's doing the outside brawling and the shenanigans or whatever, but I'm not getting the impression that this is going to be his forever, you know, MO. He's still the same dude that kicks ass and can do all the stuff he was doing on strong prior to becoming a war dog. And we still see a lot of that in his matches. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is just, another progression of his character and as time goes on like once they give him more we're gonna see more of what made him great in the first place prior to all this like i don't think that this is just his uh you know his fallback or whatever yeah and we've, we've seen that before tournament when he was doing the stuff with Coglin. like they were having some good stuff in the tag division the, the matches with bishop those matches were great yeah and there wasn't a ton of shenanigans there so i think again this is probably his story for the tournament as establishing this, you know, loose cannon personality. And then they, I think going forward, yeah, we'll see some more great stuff from him. Well, Umino had two nights of Bullet Club, uh, you know, opponents here, and he was able to basically weather the storm against two people that were both, you know, very much um, intending to hurt him and use every single shortcut available to them to defeat him. And he found a way to get past all their tricks and treachery and find a way to win um i don't i think that the umino gabe kid stuff was a little more compelling i didn't love the chase owens match because chase kind of was in control for a large majority of that match which is fine but mm -hmm. it, there wasn't a lot of back and forth it was sort of just umino selling until he came back and, and hey, hit him with the death rider yeah. finisher <laughs> but ultimately He's up to six points, which last week we were kind of wondering out of these three musketeers, the Rewa musketeers, which ones were going to progress and which ones were going to fall back. And as we sort of alluded to, the company has a little bit more faith and, you know, um, aspiration right now for Shota Umino rather than the other two. And he's the only one that's 
sitting at the six point mark right now. So, yeah, his last two matches, he has um, Yotosuji on night 11 and at night 13. He has Hikaleo. So, I mean, at this point, Umino is still alive in terms of that two way slot, which yeah. I think is going to be the drama between him and Kiyomiya going down the stretch and it makes a lot more sense for why they had the draw against one another um i'm glad i'm not chris samsa i don't have to do the uh tiebreaker <laughs> situations here because i'm sure it gets pretty convoluted honestly yeah but yeah uh good uh set of matches here for uh, umino uh also the game kid match probably the better of the two but yeah umino he's still alive to get the two-way and then you mentioned Kaito Kiyomiya. He has the same uh, record here with two wins, one loss, two draws, six points. Night seven, like we mentioned, he lost to Sonata. And then on a night nine, he had the double count out brawl with Gabe Kidd. Man, that was awesome. Yeah, I think Kiyomiya, right now for me, I think he's MVP of A Block. Yeah. And I'm loving what they've been doing with him. I know that um, there are probably those fans out there that are looking at his projection in the tournament. And maybe, especially if they're like hardcore Noah fans, kind of complaining, like, why hasn't he been given more? But, I mean, they're kind of doing a great job straddling that line of, like, not burying him, but also not, you know, there's still that political game. You don't want to give the ace of Noah too, too much. And they're allowing him to kind of showcase what makes him so great, why he has the reputation that he does. And the matches have been standout. Um, I love the Sonata match. I love the physicality of it. The drama, the story, everything that was like, to me, that was one of the best matches of the entire tournament. And then the Gabe kid match was a very much reminiscent of what made the um, the angle at the early part of the year between Kiyomiya and Okada so fantastic was just that harsh physicality and like at one point like the crowd was booing Gabe Kidd so they're on the outside for a long time and Gabe Kidd is just roughhousing Kiyomiya and he's beating the shit out of him and he's using chairs and and barricades and everything and the crowd is booing Gabe Kidd but then Kiyomiya unleashes like his like inner like bastard and yeah, he starts fighting mur- back. murder Kiyomiya. <laughs> yeah and the crowd starts booing him like and it, it kind of becomes clear like the crowd wants clean classic g1 like prestigious you know wrestling mm-hmm. and they're not getting that here but these guys didn't care they started like and it, it turned so heated that they actually got the crowd to turn from their booing to like oh, okay we're with the smoke. Like, let's <laughs> fucking go. Yeah. And they, they ended up getting the double count out, but it, it was one of the best double count outs probably in G1 history, honestly. Yeah. This thing was so heated. These guys were, you know, firing these big uh, slaps and chops and strikes. And yeah, Kiyomiya got in that same kind of mode that he was with Okada earlier in the year. And yeah, these guys are just both yelling, cursing at each other, throwing these big, heavy strikes. Looks like a, a real kind of knock, knock them out, drag out fight. Just fighting on the outside, having to have uh, security pull them away after the count out, and yeah, the crowd, you know, they they turned, they were cheering Gabe Kid at the end of that, and you know, kind of defending uh, New Japan, and um, you know, he did his little promo at the end, and uh, they were kind of getting behind him until he flipped them off, and then they, they booed him again. <laughs> 
So yeah, so so, uh, so one thing, I, and we have some questions here. We'll get to that, but I just want to ask you, Jeremy, because I'm not totally clear. So last week I was like, yeah, if you only have four points, you're pretty much done. But I think I'm still kind of operating under the old way of thinking about G1 blocks, where it's like there's a point leader, and if you can't get to that point leader, you're done. But I'm I'm forgetting that there's a second full slot, and right now, like all these guys are sitting at six points, like. Is everybody like kind of still alive in this block except for like Suji and Narita? Yeah, yeah, I think Suji and Narita, they're done. And then, yeah, Hikaleo, Chase, Gabe Kid, Kiyomi, and Umino could all get to 2A. Yeah, that kind of changes a lot of what I was saying and thinking last week when we were, you know, basically going over all this. I'm like, oh, okay. Like some of these blocks the way this is all like set up, especially with Sonata being so dominant, it actually allows someone to kind of squeak in with a much lower point total than we would traditionally think of. Yeah. And I think it's going to make the drama for the the final a block night super high with so many guys still able to get that two a spot, bro. Listen, like I, I hate to be this guy, but like someone needs to give fucking Gato his flowers. Because he is booking a masterful tournament right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, this A block has been uh, laid out very well. So if it was me, I would be booking it the way like a traditional G1 block is booked. But I keep forgetting about the the two slots, and it changes everything. Yeah. Uh, so two questions here. Uh, Rambo and Slam Pig says, what are your thoughts on how Kiyomiya has been booked in the tournament? Is it typical of how outside stars have been booked in the past? I can't help but have the sense that the office sees a possible future star for the company there and are paving the way now. And Dom Homie 101 says, is it me or does it seem like there's some tampering and under-the-table deal going between NJPW and Kaito Kiyomiya? Listen, I don't know that there is, and I know a lot of people feel that that's what's happening, but I wouldn't blame them if it was. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've seen in the past where top guys come in from other companies and they end up signing with New Japan. So uh, it's it's not a un, not unlikely. I mean, it, it could happen, um, but we also we don't know of anything happening. Uh, as far as Kiyomiya is being booked, I, I think he's being booked well. I mean, he's um, you know tied for second right now in the block. I know again, if you have that kind of old G one mindset, you see six points and we're almost done with block play, and you're like. That doesn't look right, but I mean, he's he's alive. He's tied for second with uh, Shota Umino, um, so I think he's being booked pretty well. Yeah, it, it's almost sort of like uh, in a block like this where you have somebody so dominant, the other guys are sort of playing for like a wild card spot, like NFL, mm-hmm. and sometimes wild card people that that go through to the playoffs, like they win Super Bowls. You don't know what's going to happen by the time we get into the semifinals that's going to be a whole different you know more definitive ball game than what we're getting right now and the drama obviously the drama is gone when it comes to sonata but because he's the champion the rest of his matches do have some stakes tied to them and then for everybody else they're playing for you know basically to to go through as the second guy and then even the other two like suji and arita like Sure, they're out, and that does suck, and you kind of have to question that. Mm-hmm. But because they gave them this musketeer, you know, name, 
you know they're fighting for pride to like make sure that their like point totals match up with everybody else by the time it's all said and done because they don't want to be left in the dust of like Umino. Right, and I think both those guys can still end with uh, decent point totals by by how this thing shakes out. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that the drama is going to play out really well on that last night. Uh, last thing on Kiyomiya, just to kind of uh, answer these questions, though, again, I don't know if there's any sort of tampering going on. I don't know if they're angling to get the guy here. But when you hear the comments of, like, Kevin Kelly on commentary, <laughs> he's not pulling any punches. And, like, <laughs> he's pretty clear that, like, management there has fumbled this guy time and time again. And there's been a lot of strange, precarious decisions when it comes to him. And I see it one of two ways. Either they're kind of investing in the future and he's a guy that can come back and do business here and and be part of the roster and be part of the youth movement and everything like that. Or he's a guy that they can help boost and go back to his company and actually be a viable, legit, you know, uh, standard bearer for the company. Something that Noah hasn't done a great job really establishing him with but him coming to new japan and being in the g1 and and working all these matches with these great guys i can only see that like lifting his profile and then when he goes back over there there's a foil for anybody because there is a quasi working relationship between the two companies currently Mm -hmm. when they send other people over there there's a guy that they can do business with you know, so I think it's beneficial either way, regardless of whether he signs or whether he returns to Noah, you know, one way or the other. Yeah, we've seen um, post-pandemic that New Japan has been working with a lot of promotions. They want to raise back the state of wrestling in Japan. Uh, you know, pretty much across the board, everybody's has lower attendance, you know, than they had, than they had pre-COVID. So you know, they're just trying to get the state of wrestling back to what it was. You know, a rising tide will lift all ships. So they want all promotions to do well. So wrestling as a whole can do, be doing well in Japan. And everybody can be selling out. And that way, if wrestling does, is great as a whole, that then New Japan's the biggest company, then it's going to do great stuff for them as well. Well, even beyond that, I mean, you look at, like, say, Forbidden Door, right? There's a couple insulary, isolated stories that have kind of gone back and forth between AEW and New Japan. And there's sort of a, a, a through brand that you can kind of follow between the shows that, that each of those two companies have with one another. Same thing with Wrestle Kingdom night three or night two or whatever you want to label it. Every year for the last two years, they've had a New Japan versus Noah show. And the first two shows, a lot of it was built on LIJ versus Congo you know, um, Kano versus Naito. But now they've kind of done this thing with Okada and Kiyomiya, and Kiyomiya's come to the G1. I'm sure that moving forward, if he does go back to Noah next year, if they do another one of those Noah versus New Japan shows, guess who's going to be the big draw on their side? Guess who they're going to be willing to do business with? It, it, it just benefits them across the board. Like, that's a big moneymaker for them. Yeah. It, it reminds me in some ways of like how they treat Moxley. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, next guy here, War Ready Gabe Kid. He has two wins, two losses, one draw, five points. Night seven, like we mentioned, he lost to Chota Umino. And then on night nine, he had the draw with Kiyomiya that we mentioned. 
And we've kind of talked about him already, but yeah, Gabe Kidd has been great. The the intensity, the promos, the pre-match brawls, just yeah, the the intensity he brings to his matches has been really fun to watch. I don't have much more to add, but the one thing is like he's kind of sneakily gotten to this five point mark, and you're like, yeah, he's pretty much done. But then you're like, oh, it's anyone's ball game for two A, so. <laughs> he's still kind of alive and the way he's been brutalizing people and like using these underhanded tactics and attacking people before the bell. Like I don't see him as being the guy that could get through to, to being that second entrant, but it's very intriguing. The fact that he is still alive. Yeah. He has a Sonata and Suji for his last two matches. Um, so those are two big guys that he could beat that, could get him to nine points and get him to two A. I would love it if he beat Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Sonata, but I love Gabe Kidd. And so, like, the idea of Gabe Kidd beating him, it's so far-fetched. It's not going to happen, but I would love it. Yeah, it definitely shake things up, and it would be an interesting tile defense to do a Sonata versus Gabe Kidd. Uh, but, yeah, those are two guys, Sonata and Suji. Like, well, Sonata can take the loss, but Suji's a guy. He just needs as many points as he can get. Um, so that that could be a tough match there for Gabe Kidd, but uh, he does have the possibility if, to win the last two, get nine points, and go to be a 2A. So uh, next up, Crown Jewel Chase Owens. Two wins, three losses, four points, night seven. He lost to Yota Suji. And night nine, he lost to Shota Umino. Yeah. Um, Chase Owens, he's kind of in this weird uh, predicament where it's like, we sort of all know what the deal is. Like, he's just here to sort of be like the, the, the good little hand, the veteran that sort of works with everybody else. But at the same time, he's been putting in some really great performances. I thought that the match with Yotsuji in particular was way better than I expected it to be. And it was good to see Suji pick up his first points or whatever uh, for a big win. But, um, you know, he dropped the loss to Shota Umino, big detriment to him. And I guess he's alive, but he's a lot further back. You know, he's going to need a lot of help from Umino, Kiyomiya, and Gabe Kidd if he's really realistically going to pass through. I think for him, the big story point is just basically he's got Sonata on the final night. If he beats Sonata with how brash and how, you know, kind of over-the-top annoying he is, he's going to be lobbying for some sort of title shot, which... Stranger things have happened. Maybe it could happen. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, in the past, we've seen him beat Tanahashi to get a U.S. title match. He, he's beaten Ishii in the past in G1. So Chase can pull out uh, wins against top guys. So yeah, that'd be a, a huge feather in his cap if he was the one guy that was able to beat Sonata. Again, I have a hard time seeing them book a, a big show main event with Sonata and Chase unless they're going to do something small <laughs> in, in September, maybe, or you, you have Fighting Spirit Unleashed in the U.S., maybe you, you do it there. Um, S- Sonata loses uh, to somebody else in the semifinals, and that's the October title defense, but on the road to destruction. <laughs> <laughs> he also defends the title against Chase Owens. 
you know, you got to pump those numbers up, baby, you know? Yeah, pump those uh, corking houses up, do a big tile yeah. defense. <laughs> He's only had so many tile defenses. It's going to be it's gonna be better for him in the long run to be like, I had four successful tile defenses as opposed to three, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't think Chase Owens is going to beat him. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, next up, Hikaleo, also two wins, three Losses four points. Night seven, he defeated Ren Narita. Night nine, defeating Yota Suji. And man, this was a, a really good week for Hikaleo. You know, last week I mentioned that I want somebody to have the Lance Archer speech of him and, and be more monster. Well, I think somebody had that talk with him because, man, he looked great this week and he was tossing guys around, especially this, this Ren Narita match. He was finally kind of being a bully and using his, his size and his strength, and he was tossing Rita all over the place. Yeah, but Jeremy, like, was it a case of someone had the talk with him and he turned the corner and he started beating people just coincidentally on the same nights that he was beating people? <laughs> <laughs> or or was it a case of, like, I'm not going over in the past, so I'm not going to give them the monster? You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Say what you will about Hulk Hogan. Horrible racist. But one thing I always appre- appreciate about Hulk Hogan is when he was going to win, he tried less hard. And on the nights he was going to lose, he's like, his entire philosophy was the opposite way. He's like, if you're beating me, I'm going to look great in defeat. <laughs> There's no way you're going to make me look bad in defeat. And he would try his hardest on the nights when he knew that people were going to beat him. I feel like maybe there's a, a little bit of that going on with Hikaleo because he beat Renarita and he beat Yotsuji, two members of the uh, Rewa Musketeers. And I feel like because he knew he was winning, he was like, all right, now it's time to turn up. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe that was the case. Whatever it was, I thought he looked really good. And, you know, that Narita match, he was just. Uh, throwing Narita around Narita was trying to chop him down with, with strikes and submissions And just could not get a, a full grasp on him And uh, Hikaleo was able to defeat him And then the Yota Sushi match I mean That match rolled That match was awesome Both these tall big guys going back and forth Yeah The the funny thing about that was like there's they, they drummed up this animosity Between the two on commentary Because they were like Suji is the quote-unquote giant slash monster of the Musketeers, but the real giant is Hikaleo. So very strong, you know, uh, big John Studd and Andre the Giant vibes going on there. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think that match just kind of rolled because Suji hit all of his big offense and he just rules. Yeah, Suji was doing all of his big power stuff. The Hikaleo was looking great, do, doing the dives, and then Hikaleo was doing some pretty – Athletic stuff in that match as well. And finally yeah, they, uh, caught him with the big choke slam. I'm not too surprised either because, yeah, I know he spent, they mentioned how Hikaleo spent some time in the LA dojo with Brendan Rita, but like, I think he spent more time, and I'm just guessing, but based on what I, I remember, I feel like he spent more time in England, probably training in the Rev Pro dojos and, and various dojos with Yotsuji. So I'm not surprised that they had a lot of chemistry. There was they had a pretty cool match, kind of underrated if you ask me. Yeah. But ultimately, like it looked like Suji was about to beat him, but <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh yeah. Um Hikaleo kind of put the kibosh on that. I am wondering 
if that was the right decision because now Suji is like completely eliminated and I know we were complaining the past few weeks that they weren't like pushing Hikaleo the, the way we thought that they they should be and would be but I'm I'm wondering if like Suji's the sacrificial lamb you should have put on the the pedestal for a guy like Hikaleo someone that everyone's been a little bit you know iffy on I know that we see a lot of promise in Hikaleo don't get me wrong but like Suji kind of feels like the future and he's like done done after the that loss yeah that was very weird booking there especially because you know Suji's a guy that they debuted him in the main event of Dominion big world title match clearly positioned him higher than other young lions I mean Shota Umino didn't get a world title match coming back Ren Narita didn't get a world title match coming back you know, a lot of these guys, you know, great Ocon, none of these young lions are really getting, I mean, even Jay White. I mean, yes, he had, he had the, the match with Tanahashi coming back, but none of these guys are getting world title matches coming back. And they gave that to Suji, and clearly they see something in him. And you thought, all right, that was his first match, world title match. We get it. He loses there. He'll probably turn up in G1. And that hasn't been the case. He's been having really good matches, but you would think that they would be, would be pushing him super hard based on the, the way they brought him back. Yeah, I agree, and I, I felt like it was a bit perplexing, honestly. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I know that even, like, when you look at, like, Jay White, they, you know, he, he lost his first Tanahashi match and lost a couple of matches before he won the U.S. title. And some of these guys, when they bring him back, they, they do kind of lose a little bit before they get them in, in the slotting they want. But I think they should abandon that. Like, clearly, you hear the crowd reactions, you, you see the charisma, you see the wrestling, like... You got to pivot. You got you got to push this guy. I don't want to complain too too much though, because at the same time, like, there's always sort of been that dangerous element of the G1 climax when you have a dangerous monster, and it kind of harkens back to like uh, Bad Luck Fale. He's a guy that sort of had the number of Nakamura and Tanahashi and Okada. And was just credible enough to beat those guys when called upon. Even if he himself wasn't going to do super well in the block. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that kind of reminded me of that. Like, Hikaleo, sure, he hasn't done great up to this point. And I don't mean from a performance standpoint. I just mean from, like, uh, he's got four points. But at the same time, he can beat studs like Ren Narita and Yotasuji. And who knows? Like, he is still quote unquote alive, so maybe he could go through. I don't see that happening, but um, it kind of establishes something for the future because maybe there is money in Suji and Narita having this little test in front of them that they kind of have to overcome down the road. Right, you kind of build a little underdog narrative for them, maybe get fans a little bit more bought in and invested in their story instead of giving them everything up front. And that does something for them, and it does something for Hikaleo, and that's what the, the, the aim of it all is anyways. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Suji, he's the next guy here. One win, three losses, one draw, three points. So like we mentioned, night seven, defeating uh, Chase Owens to get his first win, and then on night nine, like we mentioned, dropping the fall to Hikaleo. I mean, I think we've talked about him quite a bit. We do have a question here, though, regarding Yotsuji. Yeah, from Reddit user JGX Fighter Hayabusa says, considering Yotsuji gets a favorable favorable reaction every time out, 
How soon should he have a major title run and upper echelon status? Should his ascent be slow or on the fast side like Jay White's? Was Jay White's run or like was his ascent fast? I don't remember it being that fast. And it it was, took like two years. Uh, I guess it depends on how you define ascent because he did beat Kenny Omega his second month. That's true. For the U.S. That's title. That's true. But then at the same time, like he held the U.S. title. Who did he? Who did he lose that to? Juice. Oh, it was uh, Juice. Yeah. Well, that's when we used to have like good titles. <laughs> yeah, I would say yeah, even though he did beat Kenny, he was still kind of slotted more in that mid card range with the U.S. title. Right. And then like them. he he wasn't like a main eventer, even though like yeah he beat Okada on the first night of his first G one. It took a while before he became like a true main eventer. Like it took until I think well. He beat Okada in the in Wrestle Kingdom a year after his debut, didn't he? Yeah, Wrestle Kingdom what, fourteen. It was like a year. Like he debuted, he lost to Tanahashi, and then a year later he beat Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, and then a few months, and then like a, a month or two later, he was beating Tanahashi for the world title. So, yeah, I guess he did have like a one year ascent, which is pretty fast. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would love for that to happen for Suji. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would definitely do that. I mean, I, I think Suji has had, um, even though his matches haven't necessarily been like, um, I can't call him the MVP right now in the same way of Kiyomiya because he hasn't had the same overall match. Like, if I was grading his matches, I wouldn't be like, yeah, he's had a bunch of four-star matches. But just for individual performances, he just fucking rules. He's my favorite guy in the block. I love him. I would and say he's the guy that's connecting with the crowd the most out of everybody in this block. They are reacting to him, and I, I, I have to imagine that doesn't go unnoticed by the office. You know, even if it doesn't seem super apparent to me, like New Japan, they're listening. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if someone is money, they're going to take notice of it. They took notice when Naito started getting over, you know? Yeah. Uh, then last in the block here, Son of Strong Style, Ren Narita, zero wins, three losses, two draws, two points, night seven, losing to Hikaleo, and night nine, losing to Sonata. Who does Ren Narita have left in the tournament? Let's see. On night eleven, he has. Let's see. He has Chase Owens. Night eleven. Okay. And then on a night thirteen, he has Kaito Kiyomiya. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so uh, th- these are just my early predictions. Like right now, Narita's at two points. He's at the bottom of the block. That sucks. I love Renarita, but I feel like the Chase Owens match is something that's very winnable. And like we mentioned earlier, Chase is already at four points. Like he's probably on the chopping block anyways. Mm -hmm. I think he beats Chase, upping his points to four. So he's more parody based. Mm -hmm. And that kind of creates a scenario where like Chase, his only silver lining is like, I could possibly beat the world champion on my final night. Boom. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's the story. 
then he could maybe play spoiler against Kiyomiya and be the guy that like cost him his title or cost him his birth into the uh, G1, you know, semifinals. Mm-hmm. And that would get him up to like six points, which is pretty respectable at the end of the day, even if he's not in the runnings current, you know, currently. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time though seeing him play spoiler for Kiyomiya because I, I just feel like why would you bring Kiyomiya in and not do the Okada match in the quarterfinals or semifinals, however that's going to work out. When I say spoiler, I don't mean like he's going to succeed. I mean like that's the role that he's oh, facilitating. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's going into the match to try and stop him from winning. Um, which I do mostly agree with you, but there is a part of me that kind of feels like they might put Shota Umino through. Mm. You know, yeah. and, and I don't think it's the most likely scenario, but I can't deny the possibility that Umino goes through over Kiyomiya. Yeah, I mean, they could do it, but I mean, I, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't either. But if you were going to have anybody in this block go back to Noah at some point in time to have a rematch with a guy like uh, Kiyomiya, Narita kind of fits the MO of modern day Noah more so than anybody else in the block. Yeah, you could do a big match rematch there, and then maybe you save the Kiyomiya rematch for Okada for Wrestle Kingdom or some other big show down the the road. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I love Narita. I think he's been great in the tournament. Um, You know, I have heard some criticism about him being like, he doesn't seem as motivated as he did during the, the world television title tournament. And it's maybe cause like the handwriting's on the, on the wall. Like he's not one of the favored sons of new Japan currently. And there's sort of that story arc where he needs to find himself. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's been doing good. Yeah. I've heard that criticism also. Um, but honestly, like the spotlight's not really on him in this block. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it. Well, uh, let's move over to the, the B block now. Uh, top of the block, we have the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. Four wins, one loss, eight points. Night seven, defeating Yoshihashi. 16 minutes, 32 seconds. And then night nine, got his first loss against Will Ospreay. 17 minutes and 21 seconds. Is it weird that I liked the Yoshihashi match better than the Will Ospreay match? Uh, it might be a little weird, but I could see where you're coming from. I loved the Will Ospreay match. Like, when you talk about perfection in pro wrestling, you know, just like, what is a, a really high standard of modern-day pro wrestling? I think of, like, Ospreay and, and, you know, Okada. Nothing to complain about. But I felt like the way that they worked the match... And maybe this is by design. Um, it they kind of needed more time to like it just ended sort of abruptly and it yeah. was less satisfying. But like the Yoshihashi match, I don't know. I was just more emotionally invested in it because even though, yeah, Will's I guess this is what it what it felt like for me. Will's never beat Okada clean before. And they were t- trying to tell a story where it's like, damn. I've never even gone less than 20 minutes with this guy. It's always gone over the time limit. How am I going to do it? And then he just 
did it. He just <laughs> caught him and it just happened. Yeah. And you're like, all right, well, there it is. But with Yoshihashi, it's like he has no chance in hell of beating this dude. <laughs> and he tried his fucking hardest. He countered like six Rainmakers in this match. Yeah, he did. And I, and I was like, fuck yeah, let's go Yoshihashi. I wanted him to beat Okada so dude, fucking bad. I, so did I, because I know he, he got the promo the, the previous night talking about, you know, now's the time for him to beat Okada. The Corkin crowd was fully behind him, and I was like, Okada hadn't lost yet. I was like, he can, you know, give the first loss, be that big upset. And, yeah, he was throwing everything out there. Those those big Western lariats, he was countering uh, the, the Rainmaker. You know, he, he ended up big uh, Kumagoroshi. He was hitting all the, all the stops trying to beat Okada, but he just couldn't get the job done. The funny thing is, like, I'm not always – I'm not great with finishers, and I'm not always sure what – like Yoshihashi's finisher even is is it the karma yeah karma what is the karma it's i just know the name i like i forget what it is until it's i kind of like a man in japan kind of move okay that, that okay yeah 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 because like he was hitting all these like signatures and i'm like he got him <laughs> <laughs> because yoshihashi wrestles so many like tag team matches with goto i only know what like their finishes as mm-hmm. a tag team. I don't know it. <laughs> I don't know what his singles finishes. And I know like um he's been instituting that new like uh crucifix driver. The crucifix bomb. And he almost got that. I don't know. He did really good, but uh yeah, it sucked he didn't beat Okada. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was hilarious. Hilarious that Kevin Kelly was calling out Walter Yates from PWI on the air. <laughs> because <laughs> that's someone that i've gotten into it online with and i'm like what the fuck's wrong with you why don't you <laughs> but like um he he made a comment on twitter where he was like uh you know yoshihashi's at this point doesn't need to beat okada and then uh kevin kelly like totally kayfabed it and he's like of course he needs to beat okada <laughs> it's the g1 that's the point of wrestling <laughs> Yeah, you know they've had a, a history, even being in the same faction. But obviously, they're they're both coming back from excursion. Their big match was against each other, and they've kind of been linked together. And you know, Oshashi's had several chances to beat Okada in the past, and just couldn't get the job done. And it felt like now, if at all, now would be the time based on the run Oshashi's had since the pandemic, where he's at right now. And it just felt like it could have been a, a good chance for him, but yeah, he just couldn't get it done. The circumstances kind of seemed like maybe it was the right time. But at the same um, point, they did a great job on commentary, basically highlighting that Yoshihashi, when these two guys were in the dojo together, that Yoshihashi was the senpai and Okada was his underling and everything like that. But then when they returned from excursion, not really so much (laughs) the case and kind of telling that story. So, um, one thing I will say though, Okada, uh, we don't know for sure. We'll look at the numbers, but like probably wrestler of the month, probably the MVP of B block, probably the top guy in the world, which like is what you sort of normally expect from Okada, but you don't always get that. Mm-hmm. And when you com- compare and contrast it with last year's, uh, G one, when he was in that monster block, <laughs> <laughs> He's having a much better G1, you know, performance-wise than he did last year. Yeah. 
and the Osprey match was great. But like you said, there, there's so much history and story behind the Osprey and Okada rivalry. It, it really needed more time. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think with the way that Okada traditionally lays his matches out, he does have a longer, traditionally a longer beginning stretch that leads into uh, the, the kind of the, the meat of his matches. And this match, I felt like the first maybe like, Three to five minutes was like the Okada pacing, and then after five minutes they were like, "All right, we gotta go." And then from there it was like a fast pace, move, moves, moves, counter, 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 bam, uh, Stormbreaker, the end. And so definitely like kind of a great sprint version of their match. Like they they got all the greatest hits, they got a lot of great uh, counters, but a lot of that other story you knew if they had thirty minutes or if it was a world title match and they had an hour, you know it would it had been laid out. Way differently, there would have been more callbacks, there would have been more counters, there would have been more wilder spots. Well, like when Omega beat Okada in the G1 for the first time ever, that was a super condensed version of the matches they had been having prior. But at least that 30-minute mark, you can kind of do more with it. Mm-hmm. I haven't had many complaints about the 20-minute time of it. I love it for this G1, but the one match that I feel like was you know, basically hurt by the 20 minute time limit. And it's crazy to say that because the match is still <laughs> incredible yeah, for what it is, but it's Osprey versus Okada. It did not reach the heights it should and could have. And I don't, I think part of that is on the performers. I don't know if they laid out for themselves what they wanted to do or, or were capable of doing in that, you know, time constraint. But, um, yeah, it did feel abrupt. It just didn't feel like it flowed with the for how long we've been waiting for Osprey to cleanly beat Okada and then to kind of give them this task that you need to tell the story, but you need to do it in a condensed version. I will. I wanted more, but they kind of were just doing the same match they've always done, and then suddenly Osprey just caught him in the middle of an Okada, you know, finishing sequence, and that came from out of nowhere. I didn't expect it. Um, and it's, I'm not surprised that Osprey beat him, but I just didn't love the manner that they did it. Yeah, and they still had like two and a half minutes left that they could have used as yeah. well. They didn't even tease a time limit draw, and you'd think with their history, if anything, that match should have should have teased, if not have gone to the draw. Um, Maybe in kayfabe it tells you an idea of like, He's on the level now, and he doesn't need the full 20 minutes. He can beat him. I mean, it is. um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I know Chris did some research on this, and we retweeted what he put out there. But, like, it's been a very long time since anybody has defeated Okada in under 20 minutes. So that is a feather in the cap of Osprey, and he does have that to claim. So there's that. Yeah. Well, since you're speaking about Will, he's the next guy here. Also, four and one with eight points. Uh, night seven, he defeated the great Okan. 11 minutes and 20 seconds. And then, like we just mentioned, night nine, he defeated Kazuchika Okada. Well, there was the, um, you know, speculation about the importance of the match with the great Okan. I thought they had a very good match. A great opener to a great show. That uh, night seven show was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, I really liked the interactions between those two guys and the work they did with one another. But, you know, Will 
has had one of the stronger tournaments of the year. Um, he beats Okan, he beats Okada. He's on a, a great trajectory right now, and he's tied with Okada eight points at the top of the block. Yeah, I thought the, the Okan match was a lot of fun. Uh, that's another match that just kind of ended abruptly. Uh, also, it was 11 minutes, 20 seconds. I feel like they, there, there was more that they could have done. But for that 11 minutes, it was a very good matchup. You know, first time seeing, you know, United Empire guys face off against each other. And I thought it was really fun. You know, at this point, Great Ocon pretty much had, like, nothing left to lose. So he kind of went out there and was being pretty aggressive with Will. Uh, but, yeah, that was a, a fun match. And then, yeah, we talked about the Okada match. And, you know, Will, he, uh, in a matter of a month, you know, his time span, he's beaten Kenny Omega and now beaten Kazuchika Okada. Two of his greatest rivals, two of the best wrestlers in the world. He's riding, uh, you know, a big wave of momentum right now. We actually have questions related to what you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Rambone Slam Pig says, Osprey has topped Okada and Omega inside of one calendar year. I assume a third match of Omega is awaiting. But beyond that, what comes next? Seems like a run with the top belt is logical in his near future, given his status in the company and the trajectory of his year. Yeah, I have to somewhat agree, but, um, you know, given the fact that he has the red belt currently, it feels weird. Yeah, that's a tough thing that Will's with right now. Like, If he was not the U.S. champion, I'd be like, full go, let's, he needs to win the G1, let's have a main event in Tokyo Dome, win the world title in the main event. Uh, but yeah, the U.S. how kind of throws things into kind of a weird place. I mean, you you could still have him win the G one, but then yeah, what do you do with the U.S. title? Does he you know vacate it? Does he lose it to somebody else? Does he lose, like you know does he uh, defend against Tai Chi and lose it to Tai Chi and then it's still the, the world title contender? I don't know. It kind of gets weird and kind of muddy there. Then uh, next question: Dom Homie one hundred one thoughts on Will Osprey beating Suzuki Okada for the first time. Are you shocked that the defying defeat didn't take place at a Wrestle Kingdom in Tokyo Dome? And is it Osprey's G1 to lose at this point? Well, we have to remember he has a lot, even though he's got a tiebreaker over Okada and they're tied in points right now, there's obviously two slots. So two people could easily go through. So if they both keep winning all their matches, they both could just easily go through and Who's to say they don't run into one another in the semifinals at some point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then again, he does have a loss to Tai Chi, who is only sitting at six points, not that far off. Mm-hmm. And if the math maths itself right, I could easily see Tai Chi being the guy that surprisingly to a lot of other people like eliminates, you know, Osprey from the the semifinals entirely. Yeah, there's definitely a possibility of that. Um, again, we kind of talked about that on the preview show of Chris that it kind of seems too obvious to have Will and Okada go out. And with Will being the U.S. champion, do you need him going into the quarterfinals um, where you can get somebody else in to kind of elevate the stock of somebody else? I um, mean, obviously, from a, a match quality standpoint and even from a, a star you know, drawing standpoint, I think having Osprey advance to the quarterfinals uh, would be the right move. Uh, but, again, I could see them do, using a guy like Taichi, who's sitting at six points, to uh, kind of be the underdog upset and slide in and, and get into that uh, 2A spot. 
Well, uh, since we're uh, talking about Tai Chi, let's talk about him next. Uh, three wins, two losses, like you mentioned, at six points. Uh, night seven, he lost to Kenta. And then on night nine, he defeated Yoshihashi. So like you're saying, yeah, he's in a prime spot to potentially squeak through and pull upset and get that two-way spot. Yeah, the Kenta loss may potentially be something catastrophic for his G1 run. Hard to say, but um, it's not good. Uh, But he was able to best Yoshihashi in what I think is a pretty underrated match. I really enjoyed the match with Yoshihashi quite a bit. Um, You know what's funny is like, I don't remember the Kenta match at this point. <laughs> well, because it was just a bunch of shenanigans, you know, uh, pre-match they they pulled oh, Kanemaru, right. they pulled Kanemaru off commentary, and they were, you know, the doing, titles. Yeah, they were trying to see whose belt was better. So you know, they'd raise up the the KOPW belt, and then Kenta would raise up the Defy belt, and so they, they had this whole back and forth trying to get the crowd to cheer between whose belt they thought was better, um, and that led to um, Kenta cheating, hitting a low blow, and beating. Uh, tai Chi in two minutes here Okay well maybe that's Something important maybe it's just a way To get Kenta you know a couple Respectable points on the board um, Who's to say But um, Tai Chi Having a very strong tournament I do I do think that Like um, Him Yoshihashi and ELP who are all like Similar point totals I think That they those three guys are like just a smidge below Osprey and Okada in terms of overall tournament quality, but nonetheless having very good tournaments. Yeah, Yoshihashi, he's been, uh, or excuse me, Taichi, he's been killing it. Um, super hard hitting, really great matches. Yeah, he's been fun to watch this tournament. Mm-hmm. And he's alive. And I think he has an outside shot of being the guy that goes through as 2A, possibly. Yeah, so uh, night 11, he has, uh, let's see, where is he at? Taichi, he has ELP on night 11. And then on night 13, let's see, you know, night 13 is an A block night. Night 14 is a B block night. Uh, night 14, he has Great Ocon. Gotcha. And um, there's just two more nights left for these guys? Yeah, they got two more matches left. So basically, the guys with four points maybe are alive, but like, even if they won all their matches, they would end up at eight. They would need like the perfect storm of events to transpire, and even then, you know, they they lost to Osprey and Okada. So I'm guessing they're probably out, right? Well, uh, El Fantasmo, he's at four. If he wins mm. his next two, he can get to eight. He has Osprey in the last night, uh, so he can beat Osprey at the tiebreaker over Osprey in advance. So third. he's not totally done. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, <laughs> it, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, fuck. I, again, I don't want to be Chris. Uh, <laughs> uh Next, also at, at four points, Yoshihashi. He's he's two and three. Night seven, like we mentioned, he lost to Okada. Night nine, losing to Taichi. But a uh, very similar situation here. Uh, he's two and three. He can end the tournament with eight points. But let me see who he has left. Well, he's already lost to Okada, and he's already lost to Osprey. So I don't think it really matters. Even if he w- were to win all the rest of his matches. 
he would only tie those guys, and he doesn't have any tiebreakers. Yeah, he has uh, Kenta and Ocon left, so beating those guys is not going to do much for him. Right. So I think even though like ELP might be alive, he's done. Yeah. Yeah, ELP is lucky to have a Osprey last night. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it wasn't for a lack of trying. Yoshihashi tried his best. I loved the Okada match. One of my favorite matches of the tournament, if you haven't watched it. You know, I was thinking, Jeremy, we should do like a, like a Josh and Jeremy keeping a strong style mixtape, like Path to Greatness. What are the best, you know, matches through the tournament for those who want to cherry pick it or whatever? Yeah, we could definitely do that. Only the tip top. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot you can skip if you're cherry picking. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. When do you think that Yoshihashi will get his long-awaited victory over Okada? Bro, maybe never. <laughs> yeah, I mean the G1 is a perfect place where you can beat Okada, and I feel like everything was aligned for him. It was it was Cork and Hall, uh, a, a place where there's upsets all the time. Crowd was behind him. He's he's on a hot streak with the whole the Bishamon run. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this this should have been the year. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see if he, he'll ever get that win. But yeah, I think it's gonna be a, a pretty tall task for him to, to do that at this point. So uh, the next guy, uh, El Phantasmo, like we mentioned, two and three, four points. Night seven, defeating Tangaloa. Night nine, defeating Kenta in nineteen seconds. But uh, they they had a, a pretty much a, a wild crazy brawl for like ten minutes and then got back into the ring. Match started and uh, ELP was able to get the win. Yeah, um, interesting the the elements between Tangaloa and ELP, considering the fact that ELP was one of those who were part of the Bull Club when uh, God were ousted from the group and he sort of turned on them and. Um, even though El Fantasmo is sort of a man without a country right now, he's sort of uh, mended the the you know the bridge between himself and Tangaloa. They had a, a good contest that he ultimately he was able to come out on top. I thought it was one of Tangaloa's better matches in the tournament. And then um, the Kenta match, they did a great job on commentary, kind of uh, highlighting how while they were brawling all throughout the crowd. And even though it wasn't part of the official match, Kenta had um, been able to secure his victory over Hikaleo um, for the strong title when he, you know, defended it by beating him in a very similar situation, brawling through the crowd and using the environment tables to his advantage. And it kind of felt like maybe that would be what, what happened to ELP. Uh, but ultimately, even though he busted ELP open and even though, you know, he was able to brutalize him, they got in that ring and 19 seconds later, ELP rolled him up. One, two, three, got the, the, the pinfall victory. Uh, Kenta was irate, jumped him after the bell, kept attacking him, but uh, ELP is on a run. He's got four points and he is alive. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe he's the guy. That goes through, which I could also see being very plausible. Yeah, he's definitely had this kind of comeback story. A lot of people are, are getting behind him at this point in the tournament. And yeah, again, having Osprey on the last night, he really does control his destiny if he can win his last two matches. 
uh, with the Kenta match, from from a kayfabe perspective, how horrible of a call was that for Marty Asami? This guy is like busted open, gets rolled in the ring, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Start start the match. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That I, I don't try to even think too. Uh, <laughs> it was a horrible call. <laughs> too critically about New Japan's officiating these days. Oh, <laughs> it was man. bad. Yeah, that was a bad call. But yeah, luckily uh, ELP was able to uh, get the win there. Um, and speaking of Kenta, he's also two and three, four points, defeating Taichi on night seven, and then like we just mentioned, losing to ELP on night nine. Wow, I, I didn't even realize him and Tangaloa are both at four points. I guess they're technically possibly alive as well. <laughs> uh, well, Kenta has Okada coming up. Um, so let's. See. I know Kenta Kenta lost to Osprey. So yeah. if he loses to Okada, he's done done. Yeah. So night eleven, he has Okada, and then night thirteen or night fourteen, he has Yoshihashi. Does Tangaloa have? Did he already wrestle Okada and Osprey, or does he have both of them in front of him? Uh, Tangaloa night eleven has Osprey, and then night fourteen he has Okada. Oh wow! So he hasn't saw so, either of them. Yeah. So uh, again, Tangaloa. <laughs> Tangaloa's alive. He. <laughs> Tangaloa's really alive right now. Yeah, he controls his destiny. If he could beat Osprey and Okada back to back, if he beats Osprey and Okada, he's he might go through. Because yeah, then that would put him to eight, and then he would have the tiebreakers over both of them, and he would be one one A. I'm dying right now. Okay. Anyways, um, yeah, man, I don't know. Um, Kenta seems. A lot less likely, and since we're just kind of throwing him in there too, Tangaloa, um, he's got control of his destiny, but you know, one 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 loss and he's out. So both these guys are in the chopping block, basically. Yeah, I, I don't expect either of these guys to advance. Maybe maybe they'll each get six points just to kind of make their total look a little bit better. But yeah, I think these guys are uh, are pretty much on on. A, you can give them pretty much one red X right now. They're they're on, they're on the chopping block. Uh, but yeah, Tangaloa, he, uh, like I said, he lost to ELP on night seven. He defeated the great Okan on night nine. I guess we can just kind of lump all these these guys all together. Great Okan, he has two points, one win, four losses. Like we mentioned, he lost to Osprey on night seven, and then he lost to Tangaloa on night nine. Yeah, and um, that match was pretty good they definitely had some shenanigans on the outside used the chair and everything like that but um tangalo was able to beat him um you know anything i'd have to say about great okan at this point would be a retread of what i've said for several weeks where it's just like you hear the company has high hopes and aspirations for him but then he's at the bottom of the block and it's been years and years and i don't know i don't know what's happening yeah, honestly, it's kind of head scratching the the way that he's booked here. Like he's the bottom man in the block, like below Tangaloa. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, T, but I don't know, man. Like the Great Okan, like there's a lot of promise with him, and I don't know. Like I don't know if it's something with him internally that they, that's there's this hole in the push up, or they're just not ready. I don't know what the deal is, but I feel like he's a guy that should be 
pushed harder, utilized more. Like, there's no reason why he couldn't be a guy that's at four or six points in this block. Agreed. So yeah, so he he's he's out at this point. There's nothing that he can do to get through. He can just play spoiler for people and kind of ruin the end of the tournament for some folks. But yeah, this this bottom of the block here. Um, yeah, I mean, Kenta Tangaloa Tangaloa is still alive. Okan's out of there. So we'll see what these guys do in the next coming nights. So that'll take us to the C block. On top of that block, we have the never open weight champion, the Rebel David Finley, four and one, eight points, night eight, taking his first loss of the tournament to Tama Tonga, fourteen minutes twenty two seconds, and then on night ten he rebounded by defeating Hanare, eleven minutes and fifty four seconds. Yeah. Um the the match with Tamatonga, a lot of history there, even just very recently between them fighting over the Never title. And Tamatonga fought fire with fire, attacking him prior to the bell and, and you know, basically using as many heated and underhanded tactics as he possibly could uh, to basically get the best of Finley. And he was able to do that and kind of even up the score between them. And then uh, the match with, with Hinari was kind of funny to see David Finley versus Inari <laughs> in the C block after all these years. Yeah, we know the, the long-running joke of those guys uh, of their fictional C block back when G1 was only two blocks and they, they weren't in it, so they were kind of having their own side competitions from the, the undercard matches. So, yeah, kind of uh, some irony there, both these guys uh, competing against each other in the C block. Uh, but Finley, I, I think he's been looking great. Um, a lot of intensity. Uh, you know, I had a buddy of mine who's kind of getting back in New Japan. He's like, man, this Finley guy, like, I I didn't think he had it. But, man, you were right. He's looking good. I'm buying him as a Bullet Club leader. And, you know, he got his heat back uh, after losing to Tama. Hit him with the shillelagh and kind of laid him out at the end. And then getting the win over Hanare. Um, so, yeah, he full steam ahead with uh, Finley here. Any, th- any more comments on, on Finley? No, I thought you were going to go to the question. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Dom Homie 101 says, Is it me or does it seem like David Finley is fighting an uphill battle since becoming Bullet Club leader? It's you. <laughs> it's you, bro. Like, I don't know. You know, I know there's a lot of people that feel that way, but I don't know. I, I watch the shows. I And maybe, again, I'm not insinuating that someone who feels differently than me that doesn't watch all the shows, but like, I don't know man i watch all these shows and like david finley he comes off like a really strong heel who brutalizes people and beats people up and you know is pretty easy to hate like i think he's doing a great job is he kenny omega or is he prince devitt like no he's david finley he's in this iteration of the bullet club. And one of the things we've been saying it more, more than anything else is that we've been talking about how they should just get rid of the group unless they want to change the group and they're changing the group. And with that change comes a change in leadership and a change in attitude and perspective. Um, I think for fans who view bullet club as what it was in 2016, David Finley's not going to work for them, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But a lot of those fans are watching AEW. <laughs> right. And it's why, like, I don't know, Bull Club Gold works for them. Um, or they, like, love the elite. But for me, 
watching in 2023, a, a whole 10 years after the <laughs> Bullet Club launched. David Finley works for me. Like he's having great matches, you know, great promos, great uh, promos. I don't get it. Guys motivated. I, I think it's just the, the comparison thing. Uh, you know, people see Bullet Club leader. They're going back. They're thinking, oh, this guy's not, you know, a Prince David. He's not an AJ Styles. He's not a Kenny Omega. And yeah, he's not going to live up to the quality of, of some of those guys, but he's David Finley. He's been making a name for himself. He's been having some great matches uh, to his own right. And, you know, honestly, I don't think he's that far off from a Jay White. And we, I, I don't either. And also those guys came up in the dojo together and had a heated rivalry. But, um, I mean, a lot of people complain about, you know, the Bull Club shenanigans. But Finley, he's not really doing a lot of shenanigans. He's winning most of his matches clean just by beating the crap out of his opponents. Um, so that, that stuff's not there. If this was Jay White, he'd be rolling out the ring, uh, powdering, doing the, the fake, you know, pass out thing like there's so much more shenanigans of Jay's matches that Finley's just not doing. Listen, bro, like if if David Finley was taking over the Bullet Club, hot off the heels of Kenny Omega's world title reign, right? I would have every complaint in the world like this doesn't make any sense, you know, he can't fill the shoes, but like coming off of Jay White and what we got the last few years of Jay White in New Japan, this is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like Jay White. I do. But like, bro, Jay White wasn't giving us the heat like David Finley is, you know, like a lot of Jay White's matches were, you know, they were Jay White matches, which is like, there's a place you can watch them. I heard he had an hour long tag team. Match <laughs> I haven't watched it. But they're out there. You can watch them. <laughs> Give me a sub fifty. Give me a sub twenty minute. David Finley, hard nose, just a beautiful match. Yeah, <laughs> like I love it. Yeah, it's it's been great. Uh, so speaking of Bull Club, next guy here that's tied with Finley at the top of the block is Evil. So four and one eight points. Night eight defeating Hanare, and then night ten defeating Tomohiro Ishii. A lot of shenanigans, a lot of cheating. I don't have much to say. I don't give a fuck. Um, it looks like evil is going to be a big roadblock for Shingo on the final night still. so Yeah, so clearly evil very much alive. This has been the first time in a while he's being pushed uh, heavily the single since losing the world heavyweight title a couple of years ago. Um, and again, with that that title win, you, you, we always say that at some points they have to push him just because of what they did with that decision in 2020. And so here we are, top of the block, lots of cheating, lots of shenanigans, especially in that Ishii match. It was egregious um, how much Dick Togo was interfering and then uh, him holding the referee while low-blowing evil and then hitting the everything's evil. So kind of sucks. Yeah, it, it sucked. Yeah. Uh, but here he is on top of the block, and he is uh, has the potential to, to go through the quarterfinals here. I just want to say before we move on, the C block has not been what I thought C block was going to be. Just want to throw it out there. Yeah, I mean it's been advertised as the you know the hard hitting never block, which there has been some of that. Some, 
But then you, you sprinkle in your evil, you sprinkle in, uh, you know, your Mikey Nichols, um, your Damatongas. It's just not quite what it probably could have been. Nah. But uh, speaking of Tamatonga, he's the uh, next guy here with uh, three wins, one loss, and one draw, seven points. Like I mentioned, night eight, defeating Dave Finley, and then night 10 went to the time limit draw with Shingo Takagi. The David Finley match, probably one of the best matches he's had in this tournament. Um, he went to the draw with Shingo and some, I don't know what the fuck was going on night 10. Night 10 just across the board just kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but um, this was probably the best match of the night. I'm guessing. I don't know. Or one of them. Yeah. I, but, enjoyed, uh, I thought a lot of people were kind of down this match. I, I enjoyed this match. I mean, it was a down night, but over. I think this was like a pretty good match. The first draw in the tournament outside of a block and it is very interesting because it's like you know he's at seven uh we'll get to shingo but he's at five and i'm not sure how that's gonna play into the math of everything but uh you know uh two big time baby faces that were unable to best one another but yeah tam is at seven points he's still very much alive he's in this tournament but uh yeah it's interesting yeah then uh, Eddie Kingston, three and two, six points. Night eight, he lost to Tomohiro Ishii in 16 minutes and 12 seconds. And then night 10, he defeated Mad Mikey Nichols, eight minutes and 33 seconds. Kingston, even when he's not having what you would classify as classic matches, he's putting all of his heart, soul, and effort into this tournament. Um, you know, there were a lot of questions about how he would fare. From a physicality standpoint, he seems to be healthy and able to compete. And he's giving people his money's worth, uh, their money's worth. The match with Ishii, quite mm. possibly the best match of the tournament. Hard yeah, to say. Incredible. One of them, definitely up there. Um, surprisingly, Ishii picked up his first win of the tournament against a streaking uh, Eddie Kingston. Uh, hit him with the... Uh, um, Stalling brain buster for the one, two, three at 16 minutes, 12 seconds. And then Eddie rebounded the next night by beating Mikey Nichols and, uh, you know, picking up the momentum. Yeah. And, uh, interesting win there for each. He also, Eddie Kingston is the strong open weight champion. So potentially that sets up a, a rematch for them somewhere in the future. And you know, there's some, uh, also some big AW shows coming up. There is the, uh, fighting spirit unleashed show in Las Vegas coming up, and I believe that's in September for New Japan. So they're in the U.S. So there's some spots there where uh, Kingston could defend the strong title against Ishii in, in a rematch. So yeah, if you haven't seen that match yet, definitely watch that. That was your Never Style, you know, Fighting Spirit banger. These guys throwing big chops, big lariats, kicking out at one, and like you mentioned, Ishii able to get the uh, vertical drop brain buster on Eddie. Um, and yeah, the Nichols match, it, it was there uh, Again, that night 10 Very similar vibes to night 6 Very low energy crowd Low energy matches uh, But it is what it was And uh, Eddie got the win uh, So a couple questions here Less Commission 7252 says Would you guys compare the Ishii vs. Kingston match To when Ishii faced Moxley Four years ago in the G1 I, um, I don't, I'm not sure what you mean by that. I guess in some sense, uh, I mean, would I compare them in the, in the context of like, would I, you know, basically rate one match above one another maybe, but in terms of like, do I think they're comparable? I don't know in what 
you know what what you mean exactly in that manner. Yes, yeah, I don't know exactly what he's getting at, but it's a little bit of a different scenario though, because obviously Eddie's already faced Ishii on twice. Yeah, New Japan US shows and Mox versus Ishii. That was Mox's first time against Ishii, first time in Japan in G One, right. seeing what that whole like how he's going to wrestle outside WWE was kind of a big deal. That's what I was trying to articulate, but I couldn't find the words. That's, that's <laughs> exactly. That's why I was like, I don't know. I I don't get it. But maybe maybe what he means is like this is the highlight of both of their G1s against Ishii. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, there's no denying, like, they were both awesome matches. Yeah. Then uh, Rambone Slam Pig says, with a little more than half of the block matches done, what are your thoughts on how Eddie Kingston has performed? I'm a big fan of his and very happy to see how he has hung in there and not looked out of place in the tournament as it grinds on. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm looking forward to the rest of his tournament. I think obviously the big, uh, you know, end date for him is uh, he's got a date on the final night with uh, David Finley, which you know that's going to be very important. Yeah, yeah. I thought Eddie, Eddie's been performing uh, really well. I'll see. This is kind of his dream come true. And you can see that when he's out there, he's he's having the time of his life out here, especially when he's in Cork and Hall and Ishii. You know, he considers that place like you know. Holy ground and uh, Yeah he just went out there and he's killing He's having a great tour he's having a lot of fun I'm happy For the guy I'm glad he's able to do this tour and I know there was some um, negotiating that had To be done to get him here but yeah he's, he's Doing great So then after that we got the dragon Shingo Takagi two wins Two losses one draw He's at five points night eight Defeating mad Mikey Nichols Night ten defeating Tama or excuse me yeah he had the uh, Time limit draw with Tamatonga, so getting one point off of that draw, so Shingo is starting to kind of make a little rebound here. If he wins his next two matches, he can end at nine points. It's an outside chance, but he is alive, and maybe he goes through. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's clearly going to set up to be a guy that could be making it in because he's going against Evil on that last uh, C block night. And so I think that's going to be a situation where probably the winner of that match is going to be your 2A. Uh, I mean, obviously, Kingston and Tama could get it, get it get in there, but I feel like with the positioning, I think it's going to be, it's going to come down to Shingo and Evil. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but Shingo, obviously, great performer. Some hard-hitting matchups here. Uh, nothing super top-level, but uh, I mean, it's Shingo Takagi. He's going to be great every time he goes out there. So fun, fun to watch in this tournament. Then next up, Hen Nare. One win, four losses. He's at two points. Night eight, losing to Evil. Night ten, losing to Dave Finley. Yeah, those those two losses pretty much eliminated him, put him in a, a very precarious predicament. I think Hanare's had a great tournament in terms of just uh in-ring performance. And you know, last week we were singing a very different tune about where we could potentially see him. I think he's taken a, a great step forward in terms of presentation, ambiance, the aura, his actual work, but he's still sitting at two points at the end of, you know, at this point in the tournament, which is not ideal. Yeah. And again, a, a little bit of head scratching with him. I, I know he's never been super pushed, but he comes back. He has the, the mandatory tattoos on the face, new music, new look. He shaves the head. Um, his whole kind of menacing look, and 
Uh, I feel like they're really kind of killing the aura here by just having him be at two points. I know, you know, he evil cheat beat him, but I don't know. I feel like he should be, he should have won, won a little bit more or they should have put him in a, a different block where he could have won more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that would have been the, the way to go, but uh, this is where they see him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he's pretty much eliminated, and there's two other guys with uh, two points that are, are out. Uh, Mad Mikey Nichols, he's also one and four. Night eight, he lost to Shingo. Night 10, losing to Eddie Kingston. And then Tomohiro Ishii, uh, night eight, defeating Eddie Kingston. Night 10, losing to Evil. So Hanare, Nichols, Ishii, two points. They're all out. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Ishii, the, the Eddie match, like we mentioned, great matchup here. I'll see Ishii, one of the, you know, historical best G1 performers there is. Unfortunately, he had Evil on night 10. Uh, but I'm sure uh, he'll give us uh, some great stuff in his last two matches. I, I think Ishii is still one of the best performers in this year's G1. <laughs> he is, yeah. yeah. Even though he's sitting at one and four, like, it's kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, Nichols been fine. He's bled a lot. He's tried really hard. He's had some good performances, but, um, you know, they, they, I don't know. I don't have that much more to say about them because they're they're out. Yeah, the, the, the Shingo finish was a, a little weird where, like, they just kind of, like, collided almost in a, a Fez press kind of way, and Shingo just kind of pinned him off of that. That was kind of weird, but uh, it was a hard-hitting matchup. Well, then let's uh, wrap things up here with the D block. So uh, on top of the block, we have two guys here that are four and one, eight points. First guy is Jeff Cobb, the Imperial unit, night eight, defeating Zack Sabre Jr., 16 minutes, 16 seconds. And then night 10, got his first loss by Toro Yano in one minute and 49 seconds. Yeah, so you follow up with uh, what might arguably be his well, not maybe not his biggest because he also beat Naito in the tournament, but one of his biggest wins in the tournament by beating Zack Sabre Jr. And the next night he gets beat by Jeff Cobb. And um, yeah, I was on yeah, a, or I'm sorry, by Yano. And uh, I was on a Facebook group where someone was like, so you take Jeff Cobb, you have him go undefeated in the tournament. You haven't beat Naito. You haven't beat Zack Sabre Jr. But then the, the very next night, you have Toro Yano beat him. Make it make sense. And bro, whoever like wrote that got roasted by so many people. Uh, and they're like, they're like, this must be your first G1. Oh <laughs> uh, man, this is what Yano does, man. He he's a spoiler. He's the upset dude. As soon as I saw Cobb going into this match 4-0, I'm like. He's losing. He's losing to Yano here. <laughs> and that's exactly yeah. what happened. You, you had to balance things out. Um, it, it was the, kind of the, the quick roll-up loss. And it, it makes total sense here. I was not upset about that. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. Plus, you know, um, unless they're planning to go with the monster push that they've given Cobb in the past. And, you know, quite admittedly, I, I wasn't sure how well he would do in this block. And he's you know, leading the block at this point, which is fantastic. But, you know, a couple of years ago, he had a legendary run. And then last year he had kind of a subpar kayfabe run. And now he's back on top. Um, unless you're planning to do something like that again, it, it only makes sense that he'd probably eat a couple losses. And Yano is one of those guys where that's just what he can do. 
Um, I thought the Sabre match was fantastic. I loved that he finally was able to beat uh, Zach, but not under the 15-minute time limit, which has kind of been the Achilles heel of their feud because it's all been based around the TV title. And he still hasn't proven that he can beat him within the time limit, but he does have the goods to beat him, which is pretty much how their last match looked that it was heading at the end of it anyways. Yeah, and I think this is the first time first time he's beaten Zack Sabre at all in any promotion. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, so yeah, this year he had the, the, the time limit draw and then the, the rematch at Dominion where he, he lost to Sabre, so yeah. Oh, I said his last match. I meant the, the time limit draw. I, I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so getting the big uh, win over Sabre, and that was big because coming into that match, both guys were 3-0. and Both guys were undefeated. So he got the, the tiebreaker win here over um, Sabre, which will be very important coming down the stretch. So, uh, yeah, he's got the win over Naito, and he's got the win over Zach. Who else does Jeff ha- have for the remainder of the tournament? Let's see here on night 12, he has Hiroki Goto. And then let me see who he has after that because I don't have it on the rundown since that's going to be the week after. Let's see here. Pull up the schedule. Is it Tanahashi? Did he already beat Tanahashi? Yeah, no, it might be Tanahashi. Okay. uh, Nope, not August 9th. It's, let's see, Tuesday, August 8th. Let's see, Jeff Cobb is, I know, actually, we're a deep block, right? So, so yeah, it would be, yeah, Thursday, August 10th, or no, so, nope, Wednesday, August 9th. There we go, deep block. He has Shane Haste on the last uh, deep block night. Okay. Gotcha. So, I mean... Unless something crazy happens, he's probably going through. Like, he hasn't totally locked it up, but he would need to lose, I'm guessing, both of those matches because he's got a tiebreaker against Zach and Naito. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, he, he could lose to Goto. I feel like that's, that's a guy that could beat him. But then um, losing to Shane Hayes, I have a hard time seeing him lose to Shane Hayes. So I think he's... Uh-huh. Well, Hayes did beat Naito, yeah. Yeah, Shane got a big win. You never know. But, um, I mean, he would need to, for him to not go through, he would need to lose both of his next two matches. Right. So, pretty much, he has uh, full control of his destiny. Yeah, if he loses those two, he'll he'll be stuck at eight. And then, um, yeah, Sabre or Naito could uh, surpass him there. Right. And they would probably both need to surpass him, basically. And... You know, uh, Tanahashi's not necessarily dead either. Right, yeah, Ace's still alive with six points. So Cobb's leading, but, you know, it's his block to lose at this point. Yeah. Then uh, Zack Sabre Jr., um, like we said, he's 4-1 and one also. Night 8, like we mentioned, losing to Cobb. And then night 10, he rebounded by defeating his TMDK stablemate, hysterical Shane Haste. Loved the match with Cobb. I thought the match with Shane Hayes was pretty good. Um, you know, Zach, I think what we're all waiting for is the big match between him and Naito on the final night. Yeah, I'll see that's also going to be a, a big deal, and that's probably going to be who's going to get in, I'm guessing, 2A if um, if Cobb kind of goes through and, and Cobb's 1A. 
But somehow that match is going to be whoever wins that Saber Naito is, is probably the one getting through. Uh, since we're talking about Naito, he's at six points, three and two. Night eight had the big upset loss to Shane Haste. Night ten rebounded by defeating Alex Coughlin. Um, so yeah, Naito he has two matches left where he could get to uh, ten points, and so he can go into that last match with Saber at eight points, and so um, put himself in good position to advance. Night eight was one of my favorite nights of the G1 so far. And it, it was one of the few nights where we had a lot of like surprising results and Cobb beating Sabre was one of those. And then even more so Shane Haste beating Naito was like really shocking. Like he fucking laid the smack down on that dude, uh, which is always fun. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and the whole story of that match yeah, Naito was taking Shane Haste very lightly. There was some comments earlier in the interviews where he was like, I don't understand why I got like, Shane Haste is in the tournament. Um, and so, yeah, Shane was able to uh, hit the, the Bomb Valley death and get the, the big upset win. Yeah. So then uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, he's also at six points. He's three and two, night eight, defeating Toru Yano, night 10, defeating Hiroki Goto. Yeah, um, Tanahashi's not out. And I, I wouldn't be completely surprised if, you know, it seems unlikely now, but what if Cobb loses his next two and Tanahashi wins his next two and surpasses Cobb's eight points to end up with nine, you know, or ten? Yeah, essentially. and it, it could happen. I mean, uh, night 12, he has Alex Coughlin. And then on the, uh, the ninth, he has uh, Tetsuya Naito. So there's a there's a good chance for Tanahashi there. Wait, he has Naito. I thought Naito was fighting Saber on the final night. Uh, let's see. So it looks like Saber's facing actually facing Goto. You know what? I messed that up. It's the second to last night when they face each other. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, last so, night Saber has Goto, and then uh, Tanahashi has Naito on the last night. And that that kind of changes some of my projections. I think I still think I got Naito and Saber going through together. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was always what I thought was going to happen, and I think it probably still could happen. But Tanahashi's alive. You just never know. Yeah, could win it in a snap. <laughs> uh, then uh, we got some guys here that are at four points. We have Hiroki Goto, who's uh, two and three with four points. He Lost to Alex Coughlin on night eight. Night ten, he lost to uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then uh, Shane Haste, he on night eight defeated Tetsuya Naito, the big upset. And then night ten, losing to Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, I mean, everyone else here is pretty much just playing spoiler. Like, they're, they're virtually eliminated, essentially. And Goto's been fine, but I haven't felt like any truly classic Goto performances that you expect in a G1. Yeah, which makes, which makes me think that the rib injury is a shoot. Like, I, I think he's really hurt because a lot of his matches have either been short or he's been struggling really hard, and yeah. maybe he's just a master worker and seller, and he said, hey, get I want to sell the ribs this tournament, but I, I think he's really hurting. He worked a long main event with Tanahashi, though. Yeah, but I don't know. He still was kind of moving rough there in, in that match, and... I felt bad for him. That high fly flow at the end, I feel like Tanahashi was trying not to land on his ribs, but instead landing right on his face. (laughs) 
Yes, definitely. Uh, then the uh, last two guys here, there are two points. We have uh, Alex Coughlin. He, night eight, lost to, or night eight, he defeated Goto, night 10, losing to Naito. And then Toroyano, night eight, he lost to Tanahashi, night 10, defeating Jeff Cobb. So they're both at two points, and they're, they're, they're out. Double red X, mathematically eliminated. Yeah. And I mean, you know, essentially, like, Yano has been just playing comedy. He picked up the big win over Jeff Cobb. That was unexpected. Coglin, more character work, more hard hitting. He's doing everything in his power to get over and, and have a great tournament. I feel like Shane Hayes is kind of in a similar position as well. Both guys doing a lot to, you know, basically salvage their tournaments, even though they're being booked into oblivion. But, um, you know, Coughlin hasn't really had that breakthrough match just yet. I know he beat Goto, but that there is that asterisk of the rib injury. It didn't feel like a definitive, meaningful win, even though on commentary they mentioned how it could have tag team title implications. But Shane, on the opposite, on the other hand, he he had the big win over Zack Sabre Jr. Or, I'm sorry, not Zack, uh, Naito, which was like, he fucking beat him, like, definitively. And that happens in the G1 from time to time, but it was pretty cool when it happened. Yeah. Yeah, and the Sabre match was great. I mean, he was, it was a pretty close match there. Yeah. So that wraps up uh, the block coverage. Has some other uh, G1 questions here. I'll run through these uh, pretty quickly. So, Les Commission 7252 says, what block would y'all would have liked to have been a part of Part in if y'all were announced for the G one. None. <laughs> no block. Um, pay, pay me to do this. Talk <laughs> about the G one. Uh, I, I mean, if I was a wrestler, I'd, I'd probably want to be in that B block. Get your Okada match. Get your Osprey match. Get get put on the map. Uh, his other question says, with New Japan surprisingly being different with their booking. Would a returning Carl Gotch Cup round robin tournament be fitting for the Young Lions this year? I don't think the that I don't think the Young Lions Cup is the Carl Gotch Cup, is it? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think that's the name of it. But uh, I mean, I, I like the Young Lions Cup when it's fitting, and maybe it is this year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, some young lines there. Obviously, you got what Nakashima, Oscar Lube, um, Bolton Oleg, Oiwa. Uh, so there's some guys there, and there's probably some more students there. There's some guys in the Fale Dojo that could probably bring over. So yeah, you could probably do one. Uh, next question from CJH1998 says, "What Gaijin who has never competed in the G1?" Would you pick to replace one competitor in this year's G1, and who would they have replaced? What? <laughs> so if you got to pick one foreigner that can replace somebody in the G1 who's never been in the G1, who would you pick? Um, I don't know. Like, probably, I mean, probably Brian. Yeah, Brian Nielsen would be my answer. And let's, uh, I don't know. Let's take Chase Chase Owens out and, and put Brian in. Yeah, that's 
his other question, uh, which unlikely result is more interesting to you? ELP defeating and advancing over Will Ospreay or Kingston defeating and advancing over Dave Finley? Um, I think ELP advancing is more interesting and also more likely than Kingston advancing over David Finley. And I don't think it's that interesting if it were to happen. Yeah. And I think just from a, a booking perspective, ELP is your guy. that's going to be there uh, the remainder of the year. Once Kingston's done with G1, he's going back to AEW. So I don't think having him beat Finley, a guy that you're pushing super hard to get Kingston to the quarterfinals, I don't think that's the best booking strategy there. Uh, next question from DJ underscore Aftershock. Opinions on the increased amount of time limit draws this year? I mean, the the shows are all going three hours, so it's not really been a huge deal obviously we don't need to rehash you know the ins and outs of the 20 minute time limit yeah i mean for a block i I think it's been good to help tell stories there it's it's been used as a good storytelling device overall i agree uh next question here from deaf triangle 720 what do you think about sonata's booking as champion in the g1 i feel we've kind of covered that already i mean he's undefeated uh yeah he's been pushed pretty uh, heavily uh, next question here. I am Cass Tedder. What are your thoughts on the 32-man format so far? I like how they're able to showcase more talent and get more quality matches from the tournament. Plus, the format is a huge improvement from the 28-man field last year. However, a bloated field does create G1 fatigue, so I understand that mindset as well. What all would you change for next year's format to improve the tournament? Yeah, so this is actually something I, I wanted to touch on, but I... Did we, you know, we've had a lot to talk about, you know, I, I've seen some people complaining about the format this year and talking about how they just need to go back to 20 or they should have just done 20. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at like a 20 man format field and I was like, okay, well, who could we get rid of? And there's like four, maybe five names that you could just easily eradicate like blah, 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 boom. Okay. That's easy. But then it's like, you still need to have, 12 names eradicated out of a 32 field you get rid of four now you have eight really tough choices to make and you know what you end up with you end up getting rid of probably the outsiders so kiyomiya and kingston and you probably end up getting rid of one of two things either older names that you're not ready to maybe get rid of or young names that you're not entirely sure deserve to be in the tournament but one of the things that they're being praised for in this year's tournament is the inclusion of the young blood so then and yeah you could get rid of like a yano obviously like he's on the block people like that you know if you wanted to get you know smarky with it you get rid of an evil even though he's like a high up name but like realistically if you're if you're new japan and you're gato you probably cut the outsiders you probably cut the young men and then when you start looking at the field that you actually have left, once you get rid of like the exciting aspects of it, it's not quite as compelling a G1 <laughs> with 20, 20 men as you think it would be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, unless you, unless you start making some, some big cuts that people aren't ready for emotionally, like a Kenta, you know? 
Mm-hmm, yeah. People like that. You got to cut an evil. You got to cut a Kenta. You, you got to cut a Goto. Yeah, Goto. You got to yeah. cut a. You got to cut a Tanahashi. To you know, to get a lean and mean twenty that you're excited about, you got to cut some of those names. And um, maybe that's the right way to go about it, but uh, that's not necessarily their mo. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I like the new format. I think all the fatigue we mentioned earlier is just having you know two blocks on one night, but. Our, our overall for the schedule, I think that's the way they have to do it. I think the one change you guys got to do is uh, those guys that you mentioned that you can cut, like replace those guys with some better guys. Uh, if if you have some better workers in there, I think you'll have overall better cards and a better tournament. The 32-man tournament so far to me has been better than 28, but not as good as some of the best 20-man tournaments. But we've had some we've had some 20-man tournaments where like, the blocks weren't even and it weren't, it wasn't as consistent as this tournament has been. So um, again, with them transitioning and needing to elevate stars, this has been a great format. Yeah. Uh, Hawaiian punch BB says, do you think that the vets in D block are bored of wrestling each other, but when they wrestle haste and Coglin, they get more excited and putting them over. I don't know, but that's a interesting theory. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, the wrestling really hasn't come off that way, but maybe. Uh, Lazy Binger says, what's your take on having one of the blocks end up in an unbreakable tie? Should they do it? Maybe do it for the A and B block so that the extra match to break the tie could happen on either C block night or D block night and maybe bump up ticket sales a bit. You know, I, I don't know anymore what the tiebreaker would be if they had an unbreakable tie. Uh, I know what they have postulated in the past for other round robin tournaments, but you know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe that'd be a cool idea, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit too convoluted and probably too much effort to, to book it out that way and then do this whole extra match. Um, yeah. I think let's just have a clear one and two winner. Uh, Don, we want one says our bullet club war dogs, your dogs for real thought thoughts on the G one's, Thoughts on the G1s of Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin? Um, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about both of their G1s, and it's, you know, I, I'd be rehashing old territory, but they are my dogs for real, <laughs> and I'm a big fan, and um, I'm looking forward to what the future has for them. Yeah, both guys are great. Love them, love the theme song. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that they're doing a great job of establishing themselves in this G1 and kind of laying the foundation for what they can do in the future. Then uh, last question here from Barry Walsh. Do you think the War Dogs are more over as a group than any one individual is in said group? Your reactions seem good to each of them, but not enough. I expected them to be the top t-shirt sellers last month in Japan. Is it possible the group seems cool to people without the attention on one clear individual? It just seems to me like end result is higher than some of the parts. Am I wrong with my assumptions? Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily a wrong assumption. There doesn't seem to be a breakout star from the group, and maybe that's one of the criticisms about David Finley. There's not one individual that is the make-or-break guy, but the group as a whole is very over. They mentioned that on commentary that they're the number one T-shirt merch seller in Japan right now, which kind of throws a little bit of uh, salt on... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some of those reports about them not being over in Japan that we <laughs> talked about last week. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think it's still the early goings of this iteration. It just started. 
Yeah, I'm sure they'll add people and. You know, we, we haven't seen Maloney and Connors in a while, so there's, there's so much more to do with these guys. Nice. Well, that's going to do it for our review of the tournament so far, and uh, thank you again for all the questions. Um, this coming week, we have New Japan G1 Climax 33 Night 11 coming up on Tuesday, August 1st in Takamatsu City Gymnasium. Uh, we have the matches between Kiyomiya Hikaleo, Yoshihashi Great Okan, Chase Owens and Ren Narita, Tai Chi and El Fantasmo, Sonata versus Gabe Kidd, Tangaloa versus Will Ospreay, Umino versus Suji in the semi-main event, and your main event, Kenta versus Okada. Anything uh, tickling your fancy there, Jeremy? I think Umino and Suji is going to be uh, one to definitely watch out for. Uh, Kenta and Okada can be great if we get maybe 2019 Kenta. Yeah, and... He'll definitely be motivated in the main event with Okada, but I think Umino and Suji is probably for me the 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 number one match to look out for. I also think um, even if there aren't a lot of matches that are necessarily like oh that looks notebook because of where we're at in the tournament, like Tangelo and Will Osprey, big stakes, not a gate kid. You know, ELP and Tai Chi is probably going to be a big one to watch with their point totals. That one, too. Yep. Uh, moving on, we have night 12, Wednesday, August the 2nd in Hiroshima Sun Plaza. Tanahashi takes on Alex Coughlin, Nichols versus Evil, Yano versus Shane Haste, Ishii versus Sonari, Goto versus Jeff Cobb, Eddie Kingston versus Tamatanga, semi main event. Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr. And then your main event, Shingo Takagi versus David Finley. Man, there's some good ones on this one. Obviously, uh, Naito and Sabre, they have a history of great matches, and that's going to be a very important matchup there. And then Shingo and David Finley, a big main event there. Uh, Shingo could really, um, you know, kind of set himself in a good position if he can beat Finley. He needs that win. That's a that's a make or break one for him. That's a huge one to look out for. Naito and Zack always have great matches. Uh, Eddie and Tamatanga is very precarious as well because um, Tama has that tie with Shingo. Uh, he needs the win over Eddie, but Eddie, I mean, that's a huge match as well. Yeah. Some big some big stuff there. Um, Saturday, August 5th from Eddie and Arena in Osaka, Japan, night 13. We got, um, oh, that's where we're starting to move to regular tournament format huh yep okay so tamatonga tengaloa and hiroshi tenzan will take on okada ishii and tanahashi uh second match of the night there will be a tag team match uh elp and togi makabe versus scenario and will osprey bushi shingo and naito will take on evil show and yujiro goto yo and yoshihashi take on david finley gato and kenta and then the last match of the undercard okan and jeff cobb take on doki and taiji um these final four matches which are block matches the order will be announced at a later date and that's how it's going to remain for the rest of the tournament when it comes to tournament matches so on that night for a block action we have sonata versus chase owens kiyomiya versus ren narita shota umino versus hikaleo and then gabe kid versus yota suji i think from a in ring standpoint, probably Gabe Kidd and Suji is probably going to be the one to look out for on that night. Um, Not for me. I'm looking most forward to Kato Kiyomiya versus Ren Narita because 
again, Kiyomiya, you know, it, it's his tournament, but Ren Narita is looking to play spoiler, and their styles, to me, match up so well. Yeah, I think uh, Umino and Hikaleo is probably going to be a big one there just for uh, points-wise. So, yeah, this is going to be a very interesting night because a lot's going to determine, uh, well, this is the final night, it's going to determine who's going to go through. Um, a lot of guys are very close here. Yeah, so by the time we record next week, we'll know who's going through from A block, and then we'll get to night 14. We'll know who's going through from uh, B block as well, so it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Um, night 14, Sunday, August 6th from Eddie and Arena Osaka. On the undercard, you got Bushi, Shingo, Naito, and Suji taking on the all four members of House Torture. Eddie Kingston and Togi Makabe take on Chase Owens, David Finley. Tenzan and Tamatanga take on uh, Hanari and Jeff Cobb. Ta- Tanahashi and Ishii teaming up together. Dream team. <laughs> taking on Fujita and Nichols. And then uh, Kiyomiya and Oiwa take on Doki and Sonata. And then at the top of the card for B-block action, Taichi will take on Great Okan. ELP will take on Will Ospreay. Okada will take on Tangaloa and Kenta versus Yoshihashi. I'm assuming just my opinion. I think Phantasmo and Osprey probably main events that night. Yeah, that seems to be the most sense. And then, yeah, the winner uh, goes through. And that's the match I've got, like, circled the most, personally. Oh, yeah, that's probably going to be, by a long shot, the big standout on that night. Also, I do find it interesting. This might be, they might kind of spoil themselves here. They have uh, Kia Mia and Sonata on opposite ends on on a tag match. Following and that kind of that kind of tells you like Kiyomiya is probably going to be the guy that goes through, and then you got him in Sonata. Yeah, that's going to be the preview for their quarterfinal match. Because where's uh where's Shooter? Uh, let's see, he's not on. He's not on the undercard for this one. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, that's going to do it for the preview. Let's jump into the news here. So. Um, New Japan World filmed a feature that hasn't been released yet where Eddie Kingston got to meet his idol, Toshiaki Kawada. According to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, the best-selling t-shirt in New Japan right now is Bullet Club War Dogs. New names announced for the All-Star Junior Festival, Robbie Eagles, Yoshinabu Kanemaru, TJP, Low Rider, Ace Austin, Rich Swan, and he didn't list them here, but uh, the, the Ace... Of the side dojo, Matt Seidel. That's right, yeah, Matt, back in New Japan. Matto, new match for All-Star Junior Festival, Philly Cheesesteak Cup three-way tag team ladder match. Rocky Romero and Hiromu Takahashi take on Doki and Lowrider as they take on Blake Christian and Master Wato. Who is Lowrider? He's uh, some dude from the Mexican Indies, one of Doki's boys. You know, Doki used... Oh, then he's raw. <laughs> Use his uh, you know, his pull to bring in one of his boys, bringing in Lowrider here. Nice, uh, Multiverse United two for whom the bell tolls. August twentieth, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Alex Shelley has been announced for the Impact World Championship. So, um, Tanahashi gonna be the new TNA champ. <laughs> Let's go. CMLL World Grand Prix Tournament will be uh, taking place on August 18th. The annual tournament features eight foreign wrestlers and eight Mexican wrestlers. The foreign team is uh, Balian Aki from India, Francesco Akira from Italy, Adrian Quest from the U.S., and TJP from the Philippines, as well as Rocky Romero from the U.S., Samurai Del Sol, Samurai Del Sol from the U.S., Kushida from Japan, and Hiromu Takahashi from Japan. 
the Mexican wrestlers that are going to appear are uh, Averno, Rojo Jr., Angel de Oro, Templario, Ultimo Guerrero, Mascara Dorada 2.0, Volador Jr., and Mystico. And then the final bit of news here, Hiromu Takahashi will work for Michinoku Pro against Fujita Jr. Hayato on October 15th, which is uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So a uh, couple uh, fight questions here, and then we'll go to a uh, recommended match of the week and wrap the show up. So uh, first from Hawaiian Punch BV, did you check out the Geiji Poirier 2? Should Salt Lake City be renamed Head Kick City after Edwards and Gave G's KOs? So, uh, Jeremy, maybe you can weigh in more on this because, like, I, I was out. All right. <laughs> I was, I know we're at the end of the show, but, like, so I went to um, Press Box in Tampa, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, have you been there with me before? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, it's like a big boxing venue. Like yeah. they show a lot of they show they, they used to show sports. a lot of WWE periods back in the day there. They used to show WWE there, yeah. yeah. Have you been there for that? Yeah. Oh, you have. So yeah, you, you yeah have I've, I've been to Press Box. Yeah. Oh my bad. Okay, so everyone that was there was there to watch boxing, right? So they play the boxing, and they're playing UFC at the same time. But the UFC is on the smaller uh, TVs, and then on the big TVs they've got the boxing going, and they're playing the audio of the boxing pay per view. Well, the boxing pay-per-view starts at 8. UFC starts the main card pay-per-view at 10. So by the time Spence and Crawford is over, you've still got the main event of UFC going. And they switched over the audio and they switched over the the, uh, main TV in the middle of uh, Crawford doing his post-match promo. And all these fucking old head boxing fan fucking assholes started booing loudly like like belligerently and like the manager's like we still got a ufc main event we gotta and i'm like bro the only reason i agreed to pay a 20 dollar cover charge is because you're showing both both shows and then the people complained so loud they switched it back so we had to sit there and watch the interview and the entire first round of gate g and poyer was like airing but not on the big tvs and there was no audio and then finally and like bro we were like screaming there's people like switch it back switch it back and like they wouldn't (laughs) switch it back i was so pissed then they switch it back and then the second round starts going and gate just fucking head kicks him i'm like what the fuck happened (laughs) i don't even know how good the match was uh, it was pretty good. Also, it wasn't as good as their uh, previous fight. fight. Yeah, that was uh, more of a slugfest back and forth. But the first round, uh, Gave G was really good with the, the the leg kicks, and it was kind of a you know pretty good back and forth there. But then, yeah, that uh, second round, he just comes out, and yeah, he just <laughs> throws that head kick in the uh, same way that uh, Edwards did to uh, Usman and uh, same city, and just boom, dropped him. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty shocking. I, I couldn't believe it, but, uh, you know, you just never know. Uh, then he also asked, thoughts on Naoa Anui's and Terrence Crawford's dominant performances. Should Errol Spence Jr. forget about the rematch, or will his pride be too hurt to do that? Yo, that's the funny thing about, okay, like, I, I'm so shocked. I was so shocked at the Terrence Crawford-Errol Spence fight, like, I did pick Bud to win. I did. But I felt like I was picking him based on like my gut instinct that 
he had more experience and you know he was better with angles better counter fighter but i was like not that confident i was like 50 point you know one (laughs) percent confident (laughs) and like 49.9 percent like not you know so it was it was very you know very much on the peripheral um and he just fucking dominated errol spence and like i don't know man i'm hearing all sorts of different stuff like i'm hearing people talk about errol spence being weight drained i'm hearing people talk about him having a detached retina and him concealing all these injuries from that car crash that he had the you know a few years ago where he almost died and you know the whole thing where he had to drop out of the Manny Pacquiao fight because of the the detached retina and no one like really said too much about it. I don't know. There's a lot of excuses. But what I do know is Terrence Crawford went out there and fucked this man up bad in a shocking fashion. I mean, he literally like fucked him up bad. He dropped him three times. This I cannot remember. I mean, when you talk about two dudes in their supposed prime at the top of the sport in a dream match scenario. Very often it is not this one lopsided. And even if it is, it's very rare that they just fuck them up. Like you're talking about a short list of fights, like, like Mike Tyson going out and starching Mike Spinks or like uh Calzaghe ruining Jeff Lacey stuff like that. Like it, it's pretty rare. And uh, yeah, putting all the excuses aside, I think Craw- I think the things that Crawford did that just ruined Errol Spence was number one, he fought himself Paul the whole time. And uh, Errol Spence doesn't have that much experience against fighting a dominant Southpaw. He beat him with the jab. And for all the talk about Errol Spence's quote unquote power, if you watch his whole career, he's never been a one hitter quitter. He's been a, a guy that is aggressive, that puts pressure on people, and it's an accumulation of damage. That that's why he stops people. And once he was once his jab got taken away, and once he wasn't able to put any pressure on him, what tools did he have? He didn't have the the game plan to adjust on the fly. Whereas Terrence Crawford just picked him apart with counter punching, beating him to the jab. And just being the smoother, more composed fighter. It, it was, I felt, bro, I almost wanted to cry for Errol Spence when it was all said and done. I couldn't believe, I, I very rarely have I seen a elite fighter decimated this way. Wow. Uh, uh, Anui knocked out Fulton. I, I Monster is just, he, he's a fucking monster. Yeah, there's some uh, other questions about him from uh, Dom Holy One on One. The th- thoughts on the Monster Nui versus Stephen Fullen fight. Thoughts on Nui's speed and pure boxing ability. How far can the Monster go in terms of weight classes? What is the ceiling for Monster Nui? What r- wrong with Stephen Fullen? What's next for Stephen Fulton? You know, I I, I don't want to speak too much about Stephen Fulton, an undefeated fighter who got knocked out in a in a, a great you know um, you know he he did his best, but. Uh, Monsters on a different level. A lot of people didn't think Anui would be able to take his uh, his power up to that weight class, and he clearly did. Um, I don't think his frame can go very much further in terms of weight classes. I mean, I think this is his fourth uh, weight class. There's people wanting to see him go all the way up to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing people now saying, like, he needs to go up to lightweight. <laughs> 
and fight like tank and stuff. And that's absurd. I don't think he has the size for it at all, but um, if they did fight, it would have to be some sort of crazy catch weight in between lightweight and bantamweight. But uh, you know, who knows? Maybe featherweights in the future. I don't know. Uh, um, but I mean, he's incredible. He's incredible. I don't know what's next for Stephen Fulton, but like uh, monsters, man, bro. Right now, he's the fucking man. Then his uh, other question was talking about uh, Crawford versus Spence. We kind of answered part of that, but the last thing here he says. Uh, is Terrence Crawford the greatest fighter of his era, and did he take this era away from Canelo? No, 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 no. I mean, bro, like it, it's hard to. I, I see a lot of people that put a lot of hate on what Canelo has accomplished, but I mean, you look at the, just go look at the the records of the guys that Canelo beat. Canelo beat like a lot of the the best guys that came before him and then a lot of his contemporaries and then a lot of the guys that were younger than him and he did it undersized rising up in weights and a lot of the i mean if you look at like the last like 10 fighters that he fought their record is something absurd it's like 300 and like six and one or something like that i don't know it's something crazy um so no i i don't think he takes away canelo's uh um, you know, claim to being the best fighter of his era or anything like that. But I do think uh, with this victory, it puts Crawford in the conversation for best welterweights of his era. He's clearly the best welterweight that we've seen fighting since Floyd Mayweather. And, um, you know, it puts to rest the, the entire argument about him and Errol Spence. And I don't think there's really anything left for Crawford to do at welterweight. And I think junior middleweight is the only thing that makes sense for him moving forward, unless he wants to fight one of these young guns, um, you know, at the weight class. But, but I mean, he beat everybody pretty much. Nice. Well, now let's uh, wrap things up with a recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week I had the, Recommended match of the week. Recommended uh, Tanahashi versus Tenzon from the 2004 G1. You know, I, I don't know if I've seen this G1 final. I know that I've seen the finish of it, and I know I've heard reviews of it. I feel like maybe I watched it once before. This did you watch it, Jeremy? Yeah. This blew me away. <laughs> this was so much better than I thought it was going to be when I looked at reviews and ratings and scores i was expecting it to be pretty good but like i to me i thought this match was much better than what people are giving it credit for just from a historical perspective very little downtime very i mean there's very little like grappling and wrestling at the beginning of it and there's nothing wrong with that but like when you talk about uh work rate fast-paced action-packed match that's what this was. It was boom, 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 boom. They're just going, going, going. And it's a story of Tenzon being the dark ace of the company, this bruiser, this unlikely. He doesn't fit into the, the mold of like your Nagatas and your Anokis and your Mutos and that sort of thing. But he's like one of the most popular guys in the company. And But he's like a never-style bruiser. And then you got Tanahashi, who's youth athleticism agility and it's it's a it's a match between speed and agility and experience and rough naked ruggedness and 
Tanahashi puts up a hell of a fight and he's flying around and he's doing everything that he does. And then Tenzan is brutalizing him with headbutts and chops and, and they're just going back and forth and it is just boom, 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 boom. Like it, it's not from a modern standard, what you would expect from a G1 climax final match, but the, the ending of the match is very very dramatic in the, in what you'd expect from a, a G1 climax. Like these guys start hitting all their big, like they they go for a sprint. And then once the sprint is over, they just start throwing all their bombs at one another. And Tanahashi, you know, uh, at the time, like his two big moves were the, um, the big German suplex and, and the um, uh, dragon sleeper. And he's using those to try and put on uh, tens on away. Tenzon hits him with Tenzon uh, Tombstone Driver. He uh, hits him with a, a, a Moonsault. Tanahashi kicks out, out of all that. Tenzon's kicking all out of all of Tanahashi's big stuff. They're countering everything that one another does to each other. It's just going back and forth. There's so many times where the match feels like it's ending and they keep kicking out of each other's stuff in the crowd. It's just becoming roarious. And then finally, at the very end, after several Tenzon Tomb Drivers, and a moonsault, he finally puts Tanahashi in the um, uh, Anaconda Vice, and Tanahashi like had already countered several other Anaconda Vices, and he keeps standing up, and then Tenzon's slamming him back to the mat like a GTO, and then he gets back up, and he slams him with another GTO, and I'm like, oh my god, I just want Tanahashi to get out <laughs> so bad, and he's and then finally he's not able to, and he has to tap out, and it's like, and the crowd goes crazy, like. I love this match. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm probably higher than other people. I'm like four and a half. I think this match is incredible. Yeah, it's a great match. Yeah, I think a lot of people are very low on it. And I don't know if that's like going back and watching like Tenzon. People have a, a kind of idea of Tenzon in their head. But yeah, overall, that was a really great final. And, you know, that was like what Tanahashi's like, what, third or fourth, maybe G1? Um, maybe. So yeah. So yeah, so good stuff from early eight. So yeah, that was a really fun uh, matchup there. If you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend it. Then for the excursion match, you recommended Rocky Romero, our good friend, against Fulgur Jr. from the CMLL Fantastica Mania show from June 30th. And uh, this was also a great match. If you love moves, if you love flips, if you love dive, this is the match for you. Uh, Volador started to sing off hot he had, a, he had a big suicide dive uh, When Rocky was still making his entrance to the ring So from there They're starting out And just back and forth Hurricane Rana's Big moves, big dives You know, Volador's that, that big uh, Over the top, Topic and Hilo uh, Really a lot of good back and forth there Then about 14 minutes in the match uh, Rocky does a Rana to Volador into the pole, but then Volador kind of back, throws Rocky's shoulder into the pole. Uh, at this point, the, the crowd is, uh, they're doing the wave. <laughs> I don't know if it's a, a normal thing they do in the CMLL, but the crowd was uh, doing the wave, but they were definitely into the match, though. And then from there, he had a lot of great back and forth uh, striking. Uh, then um, they were back outside, and Volador hits the this big superplex to Rocky Onto the floor, and I know you've mentioned how hard, how much it sucks to you know land on the floor even when there's padding, and so 
that seam level floor looks very thinly padded, and they, they took this big big superplex spot off the, the guardrail to the outside, and that I know Rocky was probably feeling that the next day. So that was cool. Uh, back in the ring, Volador hits a big destroyer, and it looks like Volador uh, had the match won, and he was going on top. Look, he was probably going to try for a Spanish fly or something, but then Rocky countered the, the big uh, super flying armbar off the top rope, uh, Volador is fighting He's trying to get out of it He's fighting, fighting, fighting But then uh, finally Rocky rolls through again Pulls back on the armbar And Volador taps Rocky gets a win Awesome uh, matchup here For our good friend Rocky Romero What would you uh, go ratings wise In that match? Uh, I'd probably go uh, Four and a quarter Four and a half I don't know Somewhere in the middle four Four point three three. <laughs> Okay, so pretty high on that one. Yeah, nice. I think I think the first match they had was probably better, but this this was great too. Okay, good to know. Well, this week I have the recommended match of the week, and I am going with a little bit of a deep cut. Um, this is from day five of the 1993 G1 climax. It is currently the highest rated match on um cage match for new japan in 1993 jeremy what what kind of rating do you think we're looking at from a match from 1993 on on cage match uh maybe four and a half no 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 from a cage match rating oh um well, i guess like a eight eight point five maybe we're looking at a nine point five five rating on cage match with 28 valid votes so not a not a small amount wow hiroshi hase versus masahiro chono from day five of the g1 climax august 6 1993 now um i feel like this is a match that does get looked overlooked because it's not during the finals of the tournament but it's definitely the best match of the 1993 g1 climax and um, if you guys haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, I think we'll have the link for for the show notes or whatever. But uh, yeah, Jeremy, you're gonna you're gonna fucking love this match. Nice. Then for the excursion match of the week, we're gonna go to Impact Slammiversary from July 15th of this year. Ultimate X match: Jonathan Gresham versus Kushida versus Speedball Mike Bailey versus Jake Something versus Allen Angels versus Kevin Knight. Nice. Well, that's going to uh, wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to uh, review nights uh, 11 through 14 and uh, give our previews for the quarterfinals. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media, on Twitter, I guess I should say on X. We are at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. Find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Instagram and threads. We are at KI Strong Style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex on Reddit. I am the pro black guy. Just keeping a strong style. Email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out our, our YouTube channel, Social Suplex Podcast Network. 
And check out all those shows that we have here on the network One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Summerwitz And The Wrestling Disaster, hosted by Danny Kukler Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review And we'll catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts It's Yvonne, everybody Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.